everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. As always, I'm Tanning Grace and joined by, as always, I'm going to say it again, <laughs> Ross Merriam. How's it going, buddy? It is going well. Had myself a nice little day. Very productive. Just getting work done. And then uh, got in some really nice basketball. We actually got to play four and four. Yeah. How was the weather there today? It's it's literal perfect outside here. It's like it's been literal perfect in Roanoke for like a week and a half straight. Yeah. Like I just want to play golf every day. It was actual 80 today, like on the dot, like 80. There was not a cloud in the sky. I felt like I was living out in Vegas again. And there was like a slight breeze. So it just felt perfect. We've had like highs between 65 and 70, maybe 65, 70, 65 and 75, I would say for the last week and a half lows in the upper 40s, low 50s and, uh, you know, clear skies. Yeah, it's 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 been getting down to the seventies here too. It's it's one of those things where it's like you could wear pants, you could wear shorts. Like you, you'll you'll be fine either way. You know, you might you might get a little bit of a chill if if you if you wear shorts just because you know it's just so hot here normally. So it's been really nice. I've actually really enjoyed it. I've been trying to get outside more. My dog has been begging at the door every day because this is like her favorite weather. <laughs> you know, because it's like perfect weather for her. So she just goes outside and just and just is a dog. Now, and it's really funny, you know, she's, she's a down dog everywhere she goes, Tan. You know what I mean? She gets to do dog stuff instead of just staying inside and lounging in the house. That is dog stuff, too. Yeah, but uh, our back neighbor, like the, you know, neighbor adjacent to our, our back uh, fence, he's got a new dog. And new friend. They, they haven't, well, they haven't met each other yet, but they only see and smell each other through the fence. So they just yell at each other all day. So, they, so like once a day I hear her just run outside and I know what she does. She sits on the patio for a minute and then she'll see or hear the other dog and you'll see it. She'll stand up and she's almost like a pointer when she does it. She's like looking right at it. And you can see on my face. She's like ready to fucking go. You know, she's like, I'm going to mess this dog up. This little eight pound, nine pound <laughs> Pomeranian is like, I'm going to mess this guy up. And she charges across the yard. And it's really funny to watch my dog run because she has so much fur that it looks like um, like a tumbleweed. Yeah, okay, have you ever seen, I remember Star Wars when, like, okay, this is the most nerdy analogy ever, but remember Star Wars, the Tusken Raiders, they they rode those things, uh, I want to say they're Banthas, but I might be wrong. That sounds they right. Rode, they rode these big woolly mammoth looking things, Yeah. and it had this fur that would come down, and you could only see the barely little bit of their feet, because their hair was so long, and that's how my dog looks, because her hair is so long that you can only, like, barely see the little bit of her legs poking out, so it looks weird when she's running. You just, they are called Banthas, You're, you are correct. God, I think my nerd cred yes, just went plus, up a few. Plus a few. five nerd points. <laughs> yeah, I don't say I'm a. I'll, I pat myself on the back a little yeah. bit for that one. Remember that one. Star Wars reference? Oh yeah, I used to be. Uh, I used to be the Star Wars. I read a bunch of the uh, expanded universe books, the things that don't actually exist in canon anymore because they ruined it over at Disney. They were like, "Yeah, screw all these books. We're gonna make a few movies and kill all that, and then they're gonna do a bad job making the movies too." So, <laughs> but whatever, man, money, you know capitalism let's 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 uh let's 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 make a bunch of money on stuff anyway um i was say so i know they won last night i know the heat won last night but the finals are kind of over right like the heater just like really decimated of injuries and like la i mean i know they're getting some people back possibly for game four yes yeah, so my expectation is that Dragic is not playing again his injury is pretty serious um though and bam might come back yeah for four. bam was trying to come back last night and couldn't so i would expect him to be back for game four and for, for the rest of the series and if he is, you know, healthy and playing well, after last night, I mean, it's tough to say that you're going to get that kind of performance from Jimmy Butler again. You you can't expect that. Yeah, like, that was unreal. He was insane. The entire team did play well, though. There there were so many passes, especially down the stretch, that were just perfect. You know what? You know what I like about Butler and what I love about Butler. I I love his attitude. 
The dude has like a chip on his shoulder at all times and just wants to fucking win. And you could tell it. And he's, it's been that way everywhere he's been in his career. And I think it's rubbed some players the wrong way because they just see this guy come in and he's like trying real hard. He's like trying to be the leader and he's like trying to push everybody. And they're like, dude, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing here. Yeah. And you know, like I could think of a couple players in Minnesota that really didn't like the guy, you know, and you, oh, could, yeah. you could, and you, and they've been labeled as lazy in their career before. And he, he publicly stated, he's like, you know, like they need me here. They need this kind of motivation here. And I almost, I, I don't want to put him in the same pedestal that I did like Jordan and like LeBron, but he has that effect on the players around him, I feel, when it, the right guys is like he just finds a way to ascend everyone around him and make them play better and want to play better. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing you have to make them want. Because, like, it's funny. I see all my Philadelphia uh, 76ers fans on, like, my timeline on Facebook, and they're watching this, right? And this is kind of like the national coming out party for Jimmy Butler because, like, if you don't watch basketball, if you don't play fantasy basketball, you might not know how good he actually is kind of thing. You know, he's one of the guys that kind of flies a little bit under the radar, right? Because he's not superstar superstar right and he always had he always had to play like second fiddle to a lot of the a lot of the teams that he was on but all my philadelphia friends and fans keep going can like we actually had this guy for like half a year and they just got rid of him for nothing like you traded actual assets to get him and then you just like let him go and he's just killing it everywhere else and philadelphia like can't just cannot figure out a win they have so much talent philly fans right now because their team like two years ago Two years ago, they were like, oh, my God, our team's going to be a dynasty. We're going to be great. Going to contend every single year. Like, these guys are so young. We've got them locked up. They're on rookie contracts still. So we can we have tons of cap space assigned other people, like complimentary pieces. Uh, this is going to be so easy. And now their team looks like a complete mess. It's one of the little, like, it's one of the worst handled team building buildings I've ever seen. And I, and I called it from the beginning when they got Horford. I looked yeah. around and was like, why are people saying yeah. this is good? Like, yeah, we got Horford. That's going to be great. It's like, you think Al Horford can play four at this point in his career? He didn't even play four in his prime. He was the center in Atlanta. They have Millsap at the four who could, who stepped out and shot. And you want, you want Horford to defend, you know, wings because that's going to happen a lot when you play at the four. It just didn't make any sense to me to give Al Horford that much money. It didn't make any sense to me either because I got to watch Simmons play at LSU and the guy has no jump shot. Like he yeah. cannot hit a he cannot hit a range shot. And like for him to be effective scoring wise, he needs to be a slasher, right? Like he needs to get into the paint, cause some havoc, maybe kick the ball out, or go to the rim. And it's like if you have Hortford and you have Embiid in there, like wh- where does Simmons go? I mean, like they can both somewhat step out, but they're not great shooters. They both shoot like thirty four percent. I think. Well, I think Embiid is actually like thirty two percent. He's he's pretty bad. But Horford's like 34, 35. Horford, you have to respect from distance. But it's like, you don't want to, when you have Simmons, you don't want to put mediocre shooters around him. You want great shooters around him. And because he is so big for a guy who's going to play point guard on the offensive side of the ball, you can actually afford it to be a little bit smaller, right? Yeah, put him in Phoenix. Oh, yeah, Ben Simmons in Phoenix would be insane. Like, dear Lord, put him in Phoenix, please. I would... I'd go buy the jersey right now and I'd watch every damn game, you know? Yeah, no, that that would be awesome. But now, like, you know, Philly fans are just in a state of despair because everything looks so great for them. They were, like, on the rise, and now it looks like they've just squandered it all. 
it's my favorite thing too because it happens with the Phillies every year, right? Like they go get Bryce Harper and spend all this, and like their like their owner literally said for the Phillies, he's like, "We're going to spend quote unquote stupid money," right? <laughs> and then they go and then they go get like Jake Arrieta, like at the tail end of his career, the guy can't even break ninety with his fastball anymore. Stupid money, you weren't lying. <laughs> yeah, you weren't lying. Yeah, what's well, your money was spent stupidly or whatever? You know, maybe a different coin of phrase there, but like. It's just so funny because like they get all this anticipation. I, I I know the feeling and I feel bad for them, but when it's a big market and they're as loud as they are, because Philly fans are loud, and I don't mean less necessarily decimal levels. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. they they talk a lot. You know, it's like New York fans. And whenever stuff like this happens, there's always that like cynical side of you that's like kind of excited to see it because you're like, oh yeah, taste it. You know, like like wallow in it. Like I I love the despair. I feed off of it, right? Because it's the same thing with them in baseball as it is in basketball. They're like, dude, we're going to be so good. And then they see the product on the field for like a week or two or on the court for a week or two. It's the same thing with the Eagles right now. God, I didn't think about that. The Eagles too. They're leading their division at 1-2-1. and one. Like someone's going to go 5-11 and 11 in that division, make the playoffs, get a home game, and get embarrassed. <laughs> you know, like by like 30. You know, like that, that, that division is awful. And like, can you imagine their whole city like that, right? Like you're like the third biggest market or whatever, right? You know, like. I think probably behind Boston. Well, maybe fourth. There's like Chicago. Oh, okay. Well, they're top five, right? It's like it's like LA. I don't necessarily just mean like basketball. Like Chicago is not great for some sports, or I guess maybe it's just big for all of them. But Chicago, LA, uh, New York, and, and Philly and Boston, right, are like the 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 biggest ones. Boston's not as a smaller market than you think because it's not a huge it's not a huge city. But they but some of them spend money. Yeah, like, you yeah. know, like like and yeah, then you know they I mean. have a like they're not. They have a wider fan base. Like, they have a lot of fans right. that aren't from Boston yeah. that are still fans of, all, of basically all their teams. And when, when you see these teams spending that much money and they just can't they just can't get it right, right? You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, what, Philly got rid of their GM, right? Didn't they? Um, so they were essentially, like, forced to fire their GM, to fire Hinky, who was the architect of the process, because the league, it was just embarrassing to the league. And it's Elton Brand, the, the guy who took over, a former player, was a, a very great, a very good player, probably one of the more underrated players of the 2000s. Um, but he's been the one who's been horrible. Like, he's ruined it. If they still had Hinky, I think their team would be great. Because yeah. Hinky's a very good GM. Where's Hinky now? I don't think he's anywhere. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's essentially blackballed from the league. I, th- Poor dude. I think he's he's probably, you know, working with stats people on stats things. I don't know. <laughs> Stats, stats, stats. But, yeah, that, that was their problem. Was the league was like, okay, y'all tanked for five years and b- basically didn't try to put a competitive team on the floor, and because those teams were bad. Oh, they were horrible, like, real bad. Yeah, and and that was the, and that's the other thing that makes this, I think, so awful for Philly fans and why they're reacting, you know, particularly badly to it is because they had to endure the, those years of just terribleness. Where, and, you know, it didn't even seem like there was light at the end of the tunnel. Like you kept, they kept saying, like, it's a process. It's a process. We got to build assets. And, you know, they got Embiid and he was a great prospect, but he didn't play his first two years because of injuries, you know, and that's why the only reason he was third, he was third in that. Well, Parker and Wiggins were both highly touted, but I think once we got to the draft, everybody realized that Embiid was the best prospect, but he was, you know, had such huge injury concerns. So they had that guy, and then they finally got Ben Simmons, and that was the big thing that, that put it over the top. And, uh, you know, uh, Embiid came back and, and looked good, and it's like, okay, we've got our two cornerstone pieces. And so, they, you know, they finally got over those years of awfulness. Like, okay, this they, they weren't lying to us. This really did work. You know, now let's be awesome. And they're just going to be mediocre for the next three years unless they, they've got to pull some sort of miracle. 
I mean, they gotta find someone that's willing to give them some value on Hortford or something. Well, they're gonna have to like they're gonna have to give up some future assets to move a bad contract so that they can fix the roster. And in this climate, with COVID going on and the cap not increasing, they haven't announced it yet, but everyone's expecting the cap to stay the same because the cap always changes based on revenue. And and if they did that for next year, the cap would plummet and every team would be screwed. So they have a a clause or a section in the collective bargaining agreement uh, called cap smoothing. So in situations, it w- it's actually a response to 2016 when there was the big cap spike because they they signed their new TV deal, and so revenue you know spiked, and so the cap spiked, which is what allowed Golden State to get Kevin Durant. They wouldn't have been able to ever do that in a reasonable world. But the, there was that one year cap spike, and there were a bunch of awful contracts given out. Actually, I think Kelly Olynyk's contract in Miami is one of them, uh, but that might have been a little later. But definitely uh, Nicholas Batum, uh, Timothy Mozgov, the Lakers gave him four years, $64 million. Batum got five years, $125 million. He's uh, entering the last year of it next year, I think. And they were never heard from again. Yeah, <laughs> and Batum's in Charlotte, and there, there were a couple other really bad ones. A bunch of like GMs just spent really wildly and... Uh, uh, in order to prevent situations like that, they're like, okay, if there's ever a big jump, we're going to like, you know, do cap smoothing and basically like, you know, uh, in- still increase it gradually. And, you know, based on how big the spike is, we'll figure out exactly how to, you know, get to the point where it's proportional to income again, to league income. And so that's what they're going to do in this case. But uh, because it's going, revenue's gone down so much. Uh, so people are expecting the cap to stay the same for next year which puts a lot of teams into a crunch for money because they all like, you know, contracts keep going up and everybody expects the cap to go up a little bit every year. Um, And, you know, teams that are already operating over the cap and are trying to use their exceptions uh, for people who don't follow the NBA, the salary cap rules are incredibly complicated uh, and basically no one fully understands them except for like GMs and the league office. Uh, But teams have different exceptions that don't count against the cap or allow you to go over the cap, right? But there's a luxury tax line. If you go over the luxury tax, you have to, the owner has to pay extra money. They generally try to avoid that. And then there is what's called the cap apron, which is essentially a hard cap. You can't go over that. Um, so teams that are going to try to use their exceptions might be, you know, hamstrung because they're going to either go over the tax that they don't want to do or push up against the apron that they don't want to do. Um, so moving bad contracts is going to be a harder sell in this climate than it would have been, you know, two years ago or something. Uh, so moving that Horford contract is going to be really hard. They probably have to give up like two firsts to do it or a first and, and another asset. And I don't know what, like what assets are on their roster, like Tybool, maybe the rookie who's a great defender, but that's a guy that you want on, on your team when you've got your stars and now they've, they've both been extended and you've got Harris on a big contract and now Horford, you need guys on rookie deals that are contributing meaningful minutes and Tybool is one of them. So, you know, they're going to have to give up something to move Horford. If they want to fix the roster, they can figure it out. Uh, you know, Miami figured it out. Honestly, if you looked at Miami's cap sheet two years ago, you would have thought they were going to be, you know, six to 10th in the East for the next five years. It was, it was awful. They, they gave out several bad contracts. They like signed Dion Waiters to too much money, James Johnson to too much money, Kelly Olenek to too much money, Myers Leonard to too much money. Uh, they, but they managed to like move a couple of them, get Jimmy Butler. Uh, you know, and then they drafted incredibly well, like Kendrick Nunn, uh, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, 
Mm-hmm. You know, all these guys that are like huge players now. Yeah, like, that, like you know, and then Bam Adebayo, which is the yeah. biggest of them. Like who's all, a, who's a superstar. Yeah, this, by the way, Adam, this is his third him. year. So in the last three years, they've drafted four guys that are contributing. None hasn't played much in the playoffs, but he played a lot in the regular season. Yeah. So you know, getting four contributing players on an NBA Finals team in three years is insane. And that's what that's what they need to do. They moved a little bit of their bad money. They found a way to finagle one superstar, and then got you know. Four, you know, four hits on draft picks, and suddenly they're in the NBA Finals. So, incredible it's, work uh, by them. It kind of makes me, it makes me think of you know my favorite team, the Atlanta Braves. That's something that we did. I, I still remember this moment very clearly. Um, we were coming off of losing another playoff series. Um, so, so the the Braves won their the playoff series last week, right? We're we're gonna be playing them. This is a Monday night that we're recording, starting tomorrow in the afternoon. Uh, we'll be playing the Florida Marlins. Can't believe I'm saying that. They were going to be playing the Florida Marlins in the second round of the playoffs. They, they made the playoffs this year. They were supposed to be bad, but their young pitching really developed. And, you know, 2020, hashtag, you know, what else are you going to say there? By the way, good job for them making the playoffs. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Right? You know? Um, and they've never lost a playoff series, so. They've literally never lost. A, they have actually never lost a playoff series. They're seven in trouble, Tannen. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. Every streak has to be broken at some point, right? Nothing is forever. And uh, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say we're gonna beat the shit out of them. Like I'm, I'm not talking four to. Uh, I mean, sorry, it's the best of five. I'm not talking three to two. I'm, I'm talking we might sweep their ass. But we'll see. Might eat. The, I might eat those words. I really like how we match up against them. Let's put it that way. Like on paper and on the field. Also, it's something about playing them just makes Acuna go to the next level. Like that. Like Super Saiyan superstar level or whatever. So we'll see. Uh, it's probably because they hit him a lot. <laughs> they throw at him a lot. So we'll see how he responds. But. I remember this conversation I had with him, like, uh, my best friend is also a Braves fan. Um, this was, we had just come off our third straight playoff appearance, right? And we'd bounced out of the first round. Our team was very talented, right? This is a team that had, like, Jason Hayward, you know, as a, as a young player, you know, really developing a team that had Craig Krimble, like, in his prime. I mean, this guy was, un- like, he was he was on, on pace to be the greatest reliever of all time. Like, yeah. they were going to talk about him like they talked about Mo in New York. Like, his numbers were video game numbers. He was striking out, like, 16 people per nine innings. He was yeah, literally striking a, out, like... Sub-1 ERA. And- yeah, he, he was striking out over 50% of the batters that he faced. Period. Like, you know, he just, everything that he threw was just unhittable, right? You know, our bullpen was really good. What happened to him? Um, he's. I think he's kind of, like, lost a little bit. I think he's lost a little bit of velocity, a little bit of spin rate. And, like, he's still trying to pitch the same way. Also, I think he may need to adjust the way that he's pitching. I don't know if he's using enough of the top of the zone. I am not a pitching coach, but... um. When you have certain kind of breaking pitches in the, in, in the majors and the way that it works, you have to be able to locate your fastball in a certain part of the zone consistently. And if you can't, then you can't pitch that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you have to you have to give the hitter something else to look also, at. So you were saying Kimbrel, right? Kimbrel, yeah, yeah. Because I definitely said Kremples, who is obviously a, a magic yeah. player, caster. Yeah, former national champion and caster. Yeah, yeah. No, Craig no Kremples deal. is not a major league baseball player. He is, that he is not, and I think he really. Anyway, the conversation I remember having, my friend, um, he knows that I have like my fingers to the pulse of the Atlanta Braves, right? You know, you know how much I keep up with them in the off season. I literally looking at something every day about it. I love this team, and he's like, "All right, so what are we doing this off season? Like, you know, what addition are we going to go after? How are they fixing this team?" And I remember I said it to him with a straight face. I was like, "I hope they blow it up." And he's like, "What, dude? We just made the playoffs for like you know third years in a row. Like this team's good. Like blah blah." I'm like, "This team is extremely flawed." It's going to be a big problem in a year or two because we're going to have a lot of bad money. Like the contracts that we had were not very good. They were not working out. And we had a bunch of rookie level guys like doing pretty well. The problem was they were about to be free agents and we could not afford to keep all of them. So we could not keep playing baseball the way we were. And it was not a winning way to to do it. 
Luckily, I'm not saying that I was like, you know, this is the only way to do it, but luckily the Atlanta Braves agreed and they blew it up and we had to be bad for a long time. Like this is how bad one of the teams was. The Atlanta Braves this year in a 60 game season out homered one of those teams. The team that played 162 games only hit like 101 home runs the entire season. And our offense, which was the best offense in the major leagues this year, out homered them. In 60 games. They played 102 less games, Ross. Nice. <laughs> 102. And they out-homered them. That team was bad, right? And I remember watching every goddamn game and just being like, this team is so... We have a triple-A lineup at best, right? <laughs> and I remember, you know, the one player they kept their all up was Freddie Freeman. Thank fucking God, right? Like, this this guy's a godsend. If he plays in any other uniform, unless he's like 40, he's like, I just want to keep playing. We're like, dude, we just can't, like, put you on the field. But if he plays in either uniform, like, just give him the Chipper Jones treatment. Give him whatever he wants. Keep him on the team. Don't let him play anywhere else. It'll look really weird, right? Make him a brave flight. Because he's he's a, he's only under contract for one more year. And they're talking about what the extension is going to look like because he's, like, going into his... He'll be going into his 32-year-old uh, year. And I'll tell you this right now. If they let him walk over, like a small discrepancy of money or whatever, that new stadium is getting burned to the ground. Those fans <laughs> will come there with pitchforks and fire and, it, and they will leave in ashes and stuff. So, but yeah, it kind of reminds me of that where like, we just don't give out big contracts, right? Like that was one of the only big contracts we've ever given out. We gave Freddie like eight years, 120, 135 million, something like that. And like, that was by far the biggest contract Atlanta had ever given out. Atlanta just gave out its second triple digit contract, like hundred million dollar contract. They've only done two in the history of the franchise. And like people wonder and they're like, oh, what is that? Well, like, we're not one of the big market teams. How do you succeed in the middle in middle areas? And that's what you do. You draft well. You have to have the young players contribute on cheaper contracts and you have to spend your money well. Like people always talk to me about it. And they're like, why is Baltimore always so bad? Why is Philly bad? Why are these teams that have, you know, twice the payroll Atlanta has and like just can't make the playoffs? And I'm like, they're stupid. Like obviously the people who are running it are very smart, right? Their front of people are smart. They spend their money bad in some spot, right? And when you have a lot of it, right? When you're one of these things and you have all this money, it's like you said, they just start throwing around stupid money, right? And it's like, guys, just like try to be a little more frugal, baby. Be a little smarter. Stop giving out $100 million contracts to 34-year-old pitchers. You know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> like this, it's not going to end well for anyone. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, they're, to some extent, that actually does still happen in the NBA, even though there is a soft cap. You know, the, the big market teams where that get a lot of attention from free agents do tend to you just overspend a lot like Philly did. Um, it's one of the things that I like about being a jazz fan is that the team is just well run. Yeah, it's, it's the same great. thing, right? Yeah, it's the same thing. And like, like you know, when, you, when I think about the baseball teams that I really enjoy, right? I really like Atlanta, right? I really like Tampa Bay. You know, I, I, I like teams like that where like the organization is just a class act. It's run well and their front office just doesn't mess up. You know what I mean? Because they realize they're like, we don't have this margin for error. That these other teams do so we have to be extremely creative right and us not to the extent of tampa because like they're just or the saint petersburg race that i like to call them because they're not in tampa but anyway it's kind of like it's kind of like an scg open it's not actually in the city that it says like ever <laughs> but anyway speaking of magic there was some magic that went on this weekend there was and there was a pioneer challenge and a pioneer showcase yeah, it's um, a showcase weekend you know uh-huh I'm gonna, we're going to start the challenge. We're going to save the showcase, and uh, that's the order I got of the some nice, in, so that makes sense. Yeah, I got some nice words for the uh, the showcase. A uh, friend of mine ended up taking that one down. So, uh, which one's the one that you participated in? I participated in both of them. You participated in both of them. Um, how'd you do in the challenge? Let's start with that one. I lost my winning in for top eight. Ended up finishing eleventh. Okay, and I'm taking I'm taking a look at you right now, uh, and your deck. 
this is pretty cool. You you have what I, I guess we could call this like quote unquote a rogue deck. You know, it's not like an established deck that you see in this metagame all the time. But this is something you've been talking about quite a bit. You have an article coming out about it, and you kind of put your money where your mouth is. This yeah, is uh, I actually wrote humans. about it last week as well. N- not solely, but this week is uh, my article, which will go up. We're recording this Monday night, and so it should be up by the time that you see this. Uh, my article is like a full guide, you know, breakdowns of matchups, uh, suggestions for potential changes moving forward. Though this list is solid, it's not going to change much. It's pretty set in stone because you're, you're basically just playing all of the good one drops, all the good anthem effects. Uh, so a nice little Orzov humans deck. Though I will say, as, as much as you might say that my deck was rogue, my round one and two opponents in this challenge had more rogue decks. Yeah. One of the first round was a Sultai party deck. So okay. obviously had rogues, had rogue okay. refiner and Glintsieve siphoner. It's like collected company party deck. Kind of like a deck that we kind of mentioned and talked about on the show quite a bit. Yeah, it didn't have white though. It was Sultai. So I couldn't, I never really got to see like what the payoff was for being party. And I couldn't even think of one because I always think of the white cards and then the the Rakdos card that is like a cheap haste flyer if you have party. So I'm not really sure exactly what they were doing with it. They had the drain life card, the like two one for two that drains them for your number of members of the party. So like that one's kind of cool, gives you some reach. But um, you know, I just kind of got under them. And my, the Orzhov human sack is very good in creature matchups if they don't have a lot of removal. You know, even if their creatures start out bigger, you have so many anthems. You're you're usually developing a board of five or six, four to six power creatures by turn five, right? Uh, and then my my round two opponent was literally Demir Rogues. So they brought the Rogues a little bit more than I did. But uh, the deck is it's quite good. Um, you know, the fact that I'm succeeding now in this metagame that has quite a lot of sweepers. Like even people are main decking Anger of the Gods, main decking Supreme Verdict in a lot of these mid-range and Yorian decks. Uh, and those are, you know, ostensibly the worst cards for you to play against in the entire format with your 22 one drops. Uh, but the deck is very powerful. It's resilient enough. You know, Brave the Elements helps a lot against the Angers and Deafening Clarions of the world. Supreme Verdict is tough, but y- you can do things against it. Uh, Dauntless Bodyguard really helps a lot, saving the right creature that y- you want to keep around. If you ever- Yeah, whatever you have that's big or getting bigger, yeah. Yeah, this is a deck that's actually existed on the fringes of Pioneer for a little while. Often it was mono white, and then once Kudro was printed, you saw Orzov. Uh, but I think people were building it incorrectly, and they were getting a little bit sucked in by some of the flashier cards, uh, and not maximizing the synergies in the deck by having a really low curve. So a lot of the lists that I saw had fewer one drops than I'm playing, and they were playing four Benelish Marshall alongside the Kudros, and maybe more removal in the main, like four Dire Tactics. What I did was cut down on removal. I only have one Dire Tactics main, but when I added more undrops, a couple of them are giant killers, and that gives you some removal when you need it, or, you know, tapping down an Uro, tapping down an Omnath, tapping down whatever. Um, so I worked removal into the one-drops, and, you know, uh, giant killer has been very good in, in small numbers, and then I added a couple of Legion's Landings, which is a card that I think turn, people are turned away from because it's not a human. And so they think, oh, no, I need all humans because I've got, you know, Thalys Lieutenant and Kudro. But the reality is that card is just excellent when you're playing a million one-drops. Um, not just to for making tokens and giving you resilience. That, that obviously is relevant, especially in Verdict matchups. But honestly, just having those turns where you get one extra mana, you know, those really help you just put people away. That, that tempo swing when you when you transform it is really nice. Uh, sometimes it's your key third land to cast Kudro or something like that. Um, so... 
love, love me Legion's Landing. It's also been very good. Uh, and that's kind of, those were kind of the key additions. And I also recognize the power of Luminarch Aspirant. That card is just, it's just good. It's just a good magic card. Uh, I was going to say, so I've been drafting a lot lately, right? You know, God, I'm sure that card is fucked up and limited. Yeah, so the first time I drafted it, I was like, yeah, I think this card's good, right? And then I played it on turn two, you know, main phase one, made a 2-2, two, two, said go. And then on the next turn, I, like, you know, played my three drop, and we, like, went to attack. It asked me what creature I wanted to put the counter on. I was like, wait, what? I thought it just grew itself. I didn't even know <laughs> that you could move the counters around, and I was like, I thought this card was good before. Yeah. This card is just good. Yeah, and... and- I, that difference is really big, and it's the kind of card that it, it's hard to understand just how good that card is without playing with it, because it, it, you, you have so much flexibility being able to target any creature. Uh, so it actually does a lot of different things. And uh, you know, when you're evaluating the card in it, you know, without playing with it, you look and say, okay, what does this card do by itself? It's a two mana three three that keeps growing from there. That's pretty good, right? Uh, so now it's that, and it does other things. So I'm interested. Uh, but those other things are so relevant. You know, oftentimes you're playing a one drop into Aspirant and then pumping that one drop. So you're getting one point of haste damage. And when they kill the, a- the Aspirant, which they probably have to do the next turn, it's left behind a counter. So yeah, you're getting some value. Yeah, you've generated some value. Oftentimes, because you have control, you're putting the counter on a creature that otherwise would not have been able to attack. So right. you're actually gaining a lot more than one extra damage. You're gaining three or four extra damage from being able to create a new attacker. It's like a tempo positive yeah. thing, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And th- that's how it wasn't limited for me. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you're creating, you know, a blocker that you need you know, and shutting them down and knowing that I'm going to take over the long game because it's going to keep growing my team. So it lets you play defensively when you need to and offensively, you know, you just target different things. Uh, so the card is just really good. I actually talk about it in the article that I have three right now and I'm considering going down to three venerated Loxodon, which so you if you know how much I love that card. Yeah. You know how big of a deal that is to play the, the fourth aspirant. I'm not doing it just yet. I will try it out that way. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm going to say now that it's likely that it stays as Loxodon. But uh, the fact that I'm even thinking about that shows you the high regard right. that I, uh, in which I hold the Luminarch aspirant. I don't want to go too far into this because I think we could talk about it for another 30 minutes easily, and I don't want to run your article. I don't want people to be able to go to read your article and really digest the stuff there. But I wanted to ask, how is the extra dual land in the deck now that you have four full dual lands? So um, I have played the pathway as a black pathway exactly once in 20-something matches with the deck. So it, it's a planes most of the time. Uh, so, But the fact that it can be, you know, a black source is definitely relevant, and it's, it's nice to have. Like th- that mana base you see in the deck is very clean. It's six, just 16 dual lands. Two Shafet Dunes and one Plains in case they trophy. Yeah, because because like let's be let's be real. You are mono white practically in this deck. Yeah, like you have a small splash, but you do have quite a bit of black cards in the sideboard. We have Fatal Push and Thoughtseize and, and Dire Tactics, Tactics yeah. again. You have all, yeah, so, like you're splashing black mainly for the interaction. You know, General yeah. Kudra is nice. That little bit of graveyard hate, hitting an Uro, hitting a recursive threat out of mono black aggro. You know, hitting a Sentinel's Eyes. There's a lot of little things that, that it hits right. Um, or you know, Kudra is, is nice. But, you know, the main reason to be playing black is to get that interaction. White doesn't have a card that is comparable to Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, or Dire Tactics. And it's pretty important to be able to cast these on time as well. So you need that extra dual land because, like, you definitely want to be, like, fitting Thoughtseize into your curve as soon as possible. Because, like, in the matchups that you want it, you want to be able to hit their Anger of the Gods. You want to be able to hit their, you know, their Sweeper before it hits you. Or you want to be, you know, when you're bringing in Fatal Push and Dire Tactics, you want to be able to cast it on time the, the turn you need it. 
So it's nice to have this, this extra dual in it, which I yeah. think is, is pretty sweet. I will I will say that uh, about Thoughtsy specifically, a lot of the versions of this deck that I saw before that were Orzov or Sideboard and Kite Self Rebooter, which yeah. you know, makes a lot of sense. It's a human, it's relatively efficient, else has evasion, so it's a great thing to stack counters onto. But here's the here's the thing about Kite Self Rebooter. It's not really a discard spell. <laughs> Because you're bringing in Thoughtseize usually against decks that have lots of removal. Because you're usually bringing it in against decks with sweepers. And, you know, uh, and Kite Self Rebooter just doesn't live against them. So all it does is give you a little bit of control over how your opponent plays out their hand for the most part. Yeah, like the games when it lives, it looks great. But it just doesn't reliably live and actually disrupt them. And that's the primary goal of that card. And Thoughtseize actually does accomplish the primary goal so much better than Freebooter does. I mean, it's it's probably the best card in all of Pioneer, right? Thoughtseize? Yeah, probably. I mean, there's a while there where it kind of like lost some favor, but it's probably the best card in the history of... Yeah, uh, like um, Omnath is uh, is up there for sure. But like Thoughtseize is, is in the discussion for best card in the format. So just just play Thoughtseize. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of I like that. And every bit, of, every little bit of extra efficiency you can get with a deck like this is so important casting it for one instead of two you just play a one drop next to it you know it it, it really is just play thoughtsies yeah and so um i kind of want to go back to the results here let's talk about sure let's, we start with the first place deck because it's pretty cool right we got two different tournaments this weekend and the first place decks are kind of throwbacks but with some updates in them yeah I, i'm i've got to say they're both you know decks that we haven't seen a ton of recently though i'm much more surprised to see this first one than the one from yeah. the showcase and so the cool thing about this is we kind of touched this on the show when we talked about it because this this deck um john citadel was like all the rave for about a week right you know it like burst on the scene had a bunch of big finishes and we talked about its longevity and we're like you know we, we're kind of waffling back and forth like i could see it staying i could see it not showing up and it just hasn't shown up much lately and then it comes out of nowhere to win this deck uh to win this tournament and there's a couple things, right? Like, there's going to be an update in the deck that we talked about. And this is kind of like what you and I always talk about, and I like to nickname the, the like, the dredge effect, where, like, you'll see dredge when a tournament in modern, and then you won't see it again for, like, a few months, right? And then everybody's like, dude, nobody plays dredge. I don't need to play four rest in peace on my sideboard. And then people, are, you see the dredge player off the side, like, rubbing their hands together. They're like, it's my time. Shannon, I don't know? see the dredge player unless I'm looking I into am, a mirror. Yeah, I am the dredge player. <laughs> <laughs> You're locked in here with me. Yes. But this is pretty cool. This has an update um, since some cards are in here or legal that weren't legal before, namely Lotus Cobra. And I think this is a pretty cool addition to this deck. Yeah, the, the mana base in this deck is not great. Uh, <laughs> That's putting it lightly. It's not great. In particular, with, with needing to cast Citadel, you also need to ramp. So like Lotus Cobra just does all of those things. Um, you know, only two of you don't ha- you, you actually don't have room to play something like Fable Passage. Uh, because you're playing so many dual lands. Uh, so it makes sense to not play a ton of them. Still want your one mana accelerants. But, you know, when I played this deck, I was disappointed with how clunky it felt. So I think Lotus Cobra d- does a lot to mitigate that uh, and really does help you get that triple black for Bolas of Citadel. So uh, I'm I'm super happy to see that. The Crag Crown Pathway, again, we, we, we talked a lot about Pathways in our last show. And then I, I really like these two copies of Agadim's Awakening. This deck seems like a deck that uses it really well, you know. It just seems like a natural fit, right? Yeah, you want you want a company deck, right? Because you want your curve to be ones, twos, and threes to make Agonim's Awakening good. That's why I, I was initially kind of surprised not to see it in mono black aggro. You think it, it just seems kind of free, 
you, know, you do have Castle Lockthwain, so you, you need some you need swamps. But like I was like, why aren't we playing like one or two of these in this deck? But when you look, actually you sit down and look at the mono black aggro deck, they don't have three mana creatures. Murderous Rider doesn't go to the graveyard unless it like gets countered. Swift Den gets countered somehow, um, and the other three drop it has usually plays is the one that actually costs four. It costs three from Spectacle, the flyer, and then they have Rankle. So you you're really only bring back ones and twos. And the one and two mana creatures in that deck come back by themselves. Scrappy Scrounger, Skullcave Shade, so everything really but Knights. So yeah, you just yeah. don't really need it. So it ends up just not being worth it because of the way Mono Black is already built. Um, so I, you know, I, I figured that out eventually after just, you know, sitting, banging my head against the wall. But in this deck, you got a lot of ones, twos, and threes that you want to bring back. Your entire deck is just wanting a critical mass of, of stuff. So like, you think like getting back a Llanowar Elves doesn't, doesn't seem that great, but just every extra body that you can have is going to be important. So this to me appears to be the, the absolute perfect home because it's also like a deck that's trying to assemble, you know, you want a sack outlet, you want a mayhem devil or two and you are, and cutthroat like that, that thing. And then you just want bodies and you just get to return the pieces that you're missing because they killed them earlier. So it, it honestly is the perfect Agadim's Awakening deck. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think this is a deck that, it's, it's quite possibly we're, we're going to see this deck be a deck going forward. We'll see how much it gets hated out. Um, I think it might, you know, go the way of Dredge of just being good at certain times. You know, obviously I'm using Dredge as an example. Dredge has been pretty good its entire entirety of Modern, but you get what I'm saying that, like, its stock goes up and down drastically from, like, yeah. week to week. And, and when we saw that weekend where this deck was everywhere, you saw a lot of Grafticker's Cages the next week. Yeah, like, a lot, a lot. People out of Maine. You know, like, you saw you saw the Mono Green deck doing really well because it had access to Cage game one yeah you know, something important like that so pretty cool stuff um in second place is a deck that you uh like quite a bit i know cory baumeister likes quite a bit but uh this one's got a card in it that i hadn't seen uh too much of and it's kind of cool it's in the uh sorcery slot it's got transmogrify transmogrify mogrify that i missed oh, man i'm looking at it over the other screen thank you thank you but uh just another copy of the luca effect yeah th- this is pretty stock at this point uh to be playing transmogrify and really go go all in. That is that is an O. Sorry, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> um, you know, at four mana, it really it, it works really nicely with Omen of the Sun, Shark Typhoon, both the uh, and, and birth uh, and birth. The all three of those create the token when you're on four mana, so that that's really nice. Or, or create the token the either on on their end step when you have three mana right before your turn four, or in the case of birth, like on your upkeep when you have three. These are, um, this is one of those cards, uh, you've heard me talk about this before. It's kind of like, you know, it's got a, it's got a, what is it? Uh, what's the blue one that does this? It's uh polymorph, right? Yeah. Yeah. These cards, they're funky. You know, you have to do a lot of work. You have to kind of bend over backwards a little bit to kind of make them good. But when they're good, they're great. You know, there was a modern deck for a while that did this, a Blightsteel Colossus and stuff like that, doing some cool stuff. Here's one of the things I always say about cards like this. This card has never done anything fair. In its entire existence. This has never been a fair magic card. It's never been put into a deck to do some random thing. It's always there to do something bonkers. And it goes and gets Agent of Treachery in this deck and does a lot of bonkers stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, you're going to see a, a recurring theme in a lot of the decks that are doing well on Pioneer right now. They are decks that have a good amount of interaction and can play attrition games and disrupt their opponent. But then they have this some plan for the late game that is doing something really powerful and synergy driven, and you know the John Sacrifice deck falls into that, Jeskai Luca falls into that, Reclamation decks fall into that, Four Color Omnath decks fall into that. 
You know, some of them are a little rampier, some of them are a little more attractive than others, but they're they're all in that section of the spectrum. Uh, and we've got a, a huge number of them that are succeeding right now in Pioneer. The metagame is very open. Um, but you've got to, you know, what that means is that you got to kill these people or you have to have a, a lot of disruption. But you really do have to have a plan to end the game because if you let them get off and execute the, the whatever their plan is, you're going to die. Absolutely. And uh, you, you kind of mentioned it here, and I understand why they don't do it, but I'm looking at this deck, and it's got four of the rug tri-land in here, so it's already got green mana, and maybe you can stretch the base a little bit like, more and put Omnath in this deck. I know you don't want to be hitting that. You want to make sure that you always hit Agent of Treachery, but it's like one of those things that's like, it, like should we even think about this in the future, about possibly just adding the, 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 the splash? I want you to scroll down to the 13th place list in this tournament. Did they do that? Mm, not just they. Corey did that. <laughs> oh, Corey did it. Okay. Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. I'm glad. I'm glad. I don't feel okay. I don't feel as dumb. Okay. He's just got like the, the Uro version of this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool, he's, cool. He, he's he's full on four colors. He's got Oath of Nissa, which is great with the Orion. He's got Uro, Seder Wayfinder, Omnath, like Growth Spiral. You know, which makes a lot of sense. You're, you rampant your fires in a way that works well with fires. You know, mana creature would be horrible. Uh, ramps in Omnath as well. Works well with Omnath. The mana that you generate is really nice. Uh, so when you untap with Omnath, you have four, four mana usually, you know, four lands, and you go Fable Passage Sack, suddenly you have nine mana. That's enough to uh, buy Yorian and play it, which is really nice uh, because you, you want to get to that Yorian a little bit faster. It can, you know, sometimes it just casts Agent of Treachery, right? So you have ways to sink the mana. It would uh, Sometimes like you wouldn't because of Chain to the Rocks, uh, but no, this is uh, this looks really good. I, I I particularly like him finding Seder Wayfinder. This is a card that you could blink with the Orion, plays def- uh, like trades like, for a Bloodsoak Champion against Mono Black and just slows him down a little bit. It can you know attack your opponents to fairies and Narsets in mirror matches, and it's a creature that you can sacrifice to uh, to Luca. So n- no transmogrify in this list because he also has the, the Omnath plan, so he's not as all in. Um, Oh, he's not even looking. Yeah, he's just. Oh, I, I thought he was looking. He just has agent of treachery. My bad. He's just a straight Yorian deck. Okay. I was gonna say this. I love Corey Baumeister to death. The guy needs to make a top eight sometime soon, so we could talk about him a little more on the show because he keeps finishing ninth through thirteenth. He, he X2'd both tournaments this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> he actually started O2 in the showcase challenge and rattled off five straight wins. He off, he's like, oh, I guess I'll stick it out. You know, yeah. I don't know what else to do. Like, well, there's a pandemic outside. What else am I gonna do? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting list from Corey here, thirteenth place in the challenge. Definitely something you should check out if if that's your thing. And uh, glad to see that that. You know, you, you haven't lost entirely, Tannen. Yeah. Uh, so th- third place, Mono Black Aggro. List looks very similar to what uh, Belovo has been playing. I know in our last episode, Belovo played a list with Blood Chief's Thirst. And I said, it'll be interesting to see like if he stays with it or if he goes away from it. And he's gone away from it. And a lot of everybody else has followed suit. You also still don't really see a lot of Skyclave Shades. So not really getting new additions, but still a good deck. Um, I think that, you know, this is just the default aggro deck in the format. I think Orzhov Humans can can compete on that level. It's not nearly as popular right now. Uh, you know, I, I think people are attracted to Mono Black because it's a little bit more flexible. You know, it, it has a lot, that late game plan baked in in a lot of different ways. I do still love me Immutable, but this is just a deck. I'm really mad that they've gone back to playing Kalidus, by the way. Like, they, they weren't for a while, and then I, like, you know, play this matchup with Mono White, and they just slammed Kalidus on four in the post-board game. I'm like, fuck you. Why do you have a Kalidus? That's really good against me. I had to like play this really weird game where I was like forcing it to attack with I transformed a Kithian and I was forcing the the uh, 
Kalidus to attack into my Apostle Purifying Light, blocking it, and then getting to crack back. Um, very, very strange, but, uh, you know, and nothing to really see here with Mono Black. Fourth place, we see Orzov Auras. Actually, at last week's tournaments, both challenges were won by Auras, Selesnya and Orzov. So for whatever reason, like, this deck is just picking up. Um, you know, you don't really see a lot of changes. I've seen a lot of lists play a lot of Stonecrawl Serpents these days, which I think makes a lot of sense. It can't get bounced by Teferi. Uh, and Teferi is really popular in all these mid-range Yorian four-color Omnath. It gets through decks. Omnath and Uro. Like yeah, yeah. Stone Coil just well, that pro multicolor just matches up really well Very in big a lot deal. of matchups. So it's the uh, it's the thing that fits for good Magic cards since about 2018. It's like, does it have a lot of text on it? Does yeah. it have more abilities on it than its casting cost? Then it's probably good. Well, Stone Coil Serpent can cost like twelve. Do- you know what I mean? Doesn't have twelve abilities. Come on. Yet. You know what I mean. Hey, X is zero anywhere but the stack, Ross. <laughs> All right. Uh, interesting about this list is they're playing a Gyre Reach Sanitarium in the main and then two more in the sideboard. Uh, not really sure what the sideboard ones are going in about. This is not a card I really like because this is a deck that has a lot of one-mana spells, which means you don't have a lot of use for colorless mana. Like Your, your only twos are All That Glitters and SRAM. Uh, I guess Stone Cold Serpent, too. So uh, you have ten cards that this mana casts in your entire deck. So colorless lands come at, at a really high cost in a deck like this. Um, so pretty skeptical there, but I guess you just wanted some more late game punch. Um, but the, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to, to see this deck come back in a, in a big way. You actually see quite a lot of this deck uh, around. It's very probably as popular as it's ever been since the companion nerf. Yeah. Um, and I'm not really sure like exactly why that play. is. Oh, maybe it's a good, you know, maybe it's just mad, maybe it's matchups are just good enough, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about beating these four color decks and these mid range, you know, over the top decks, your aggro deck can't really be small ball. Like you, you haven't, you've seen a stark decline in burn, right? The Luris burn deck, which you saw sort of survive the companion ban or companion nerf. Uh, and, that's kind of a nickel and dime aggro deck, right? You're, you deal a couple damage every turn. You want to keep dealing damage every turn. You finish them off with your burn spells. You know, this is a deck that makes a 12-12, you know, Vigilance, Trample, Pro Multicolored, Lifelinking, First Striking, you know, unanswerable threat. And, and that's going to end the game even if your your opponent ha- has is doing some stuff, uh, as long as you can protect it. So I, I, I think that is kind of the reason why. Um, I think that the ability to sort of go tall is better than the ability to go, well, I won't say going tall is better than going wide because ours have humans is still good, but that's because it has some ways to, to be resilient. But, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'll just say like, I, I don't have a clear picture of exactly why this deck is coming back, but it is. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. I'm, uh, I'm not going to stop grasping list, for straws. Sure. The fifth place list is a pretty sweet one. Um, it's, almost a standard deck you know yeah. it's like pretty pretty much a standard deck with a lot of stuff going on but it's just four color omnath deck and i kind of like what's going on here and the reason i'm joking about it being a standard deck is because it's got escape to the wilds and genesis ultimatum in this omnath deck in pioneer yeah and, and it really is just a port of that deck into pioneer you know we've added girl spiral that makes sense we're playing to fairy time raveler that makes sense our mana base is different with access to shock lands uh, that you still do see a bunch of triomes and four fabled passage, so it, it hasn't been that different. Uh, but th- this deck's been around, and, and it's definitely a contender. It's just in another deck in that category. 
of I can interact and I can play through interaction myself and grind, but if you let me do my thing, I'm going to go nuts. And I've played this deck against this deck quite a bit, actually, uh, probably like five or six times over the last week. And it, it, it the turns where it goes off are just not okay. <laughs> yeah, Almath's not an okay magic card. Yeah. We, 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 could, we could all kind of agree with that. You see a lot of lists play a Kenrith, which is really mm-hmm. nice with Felidar Retreat. Like, you have these turns where you just make, you know, four or five cats things. and pump them yeah. a couple times, and now you just get, yeah. give them all haste. This list is not, um, you know, some lists sideboard the Ugin instead of main decking it, but nothing out of the ordinary, really out of the ordinary for this. Uh, some lists do play Deafening Clarion over Anger the Gods. I'm assuming people who like Anger do it because of Mono Black. You get to, you know, exile the recursive threats. Um, but because I, I have to think that, um, the other, the red, white one is easier to cast. Selfishly, I wish they would all play Deafening Clarion so my soldier of the Pantheons would live. Uh, yeah. But you, you see a lot of angers around. Yeah. Protection for Multicolored coming up yet again. Uh, sixth place list is just a Tarka. It's like a Tarka red. Yeah. Pretty much. It's, it's gruel mixed with a Tarka red though, because it's got a lot of green in the deck too. Yeah. It's, it's big a Tarka red. Uh, there you go. This That's is a, a deck list that, that broke out last week. Uh, and has been around since then. It's not lighting the world on fire, but it's good. You know, that mana creature into Rival Master slash War Boss that we saw a lot when Once Upon a Time is still legal about a year ago now, uh, is still a powerful, uh, curve. And they've kind of filled it out with some of the elements with Bushwhacker and Burning Tree Emissary and Gallia. Um, honestly, this deck to me feels like it's, uh, torn. Right. It's, it's sort of like a mana creature ramp into big threats deck. And it's also sort of a small ball bushwhacker deck. And I don't know if those really go that well together. Like I get that Legion War Boss and Rabble Master are sort of the bridges between those two strategies. They work well in both. Um, but I'm not sure if that's enough for me to want to do something like this. I actually wanted, I, I've been meaning to try a, the mono red, nearly mono red bushwhacker, but really gruel. Uh, like straight Atarka Red deck that I had been playing, you know, six months ago or so, but with Wayward Guide Beast, which I think is really good in the deck, and with a Pathway, because the biggest issue with that deck was the mana was bad. You were like nearly mono red splashing for Atarka's command, really. Uh, and you had to play like Rootbound Crag and Mana Confluence and Game Trail to make your mana work. I don't think Rootbound Crag, I think just Game Trail and Confluence. So the Pathway really helps there. And Guide Beast is just another good you know, one mana spell when you're going wide and not pl- really planning to make a third land drop in most games. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can actually just be a benefit. Like, it gives you access to three mana that you otherwise wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this deck just feels torn to me, and I don't, like, I- I'm not a big fan of it, but it's doing powerful things, and if it curves out, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, finishing in seventh place is a deck we're going to talk about a little more in a second. I think we're going to kind of skim over this one yeah, a little let's, bit. Yeah, let's go to eighth next. Okay. Well, let's at least say it. it was. It's a. Uh, Lotus Field. It's, yeah, it's a Lotus Field deck. And then in eighth place, uh, we have the Oops No Lands deck, or Oops All Spells, whatever you want to call it. But this is the the Balustrade Spy uh, Undercity Informer. My lands aren't really lands deck. Yeah, and then I mean, we've seen this deck in Modern, and it's very powerful in Modern because of the access to fast mana. You know, Simian Spirit Guide. That and, helps a lot. And Pentad Prism and things. Don't have ac- really access to that at all. So this deck is much slower. It's, it's just trying to cast its, you know, Valistrid Spire Undercity Informer on turn four. Uh, and it, when it goes off, it, it, you know, chills you four times. That triggers the three Silver Smoke Ghouls. 
So they they enter the battlefield on your end step, which then triggers your four prize amalgams. They'll enter the battlefield on your opponent's end step, and you untap and have, you know, 21 power on the battlefield. You have two copies of World's Fine Worm in order to have cards still that shuffle back in your library. So ostensibly you get two attacks, right? But I actually, I played this matchup and they there's a cool thing that you can do. Uh, and they did it to me and I screwed up the game. I, I should have won, but I didn't see the loop in time. Uh, and I could have disrupted it with, with uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Kudro. And what if they go off with Undercity Informer and they sacked a different creature. So what my opponent did was they played a prized amalgam on turn three from their hand. And then turn four had Undercity Informer or sack prized amalgam. So the Informer is still around. Then you have two copies of Haunted Dead. And you can keep bringing back Haunted Dead, discarding the, the uh, worms at every two turns when you draw them. And then discard the, you know, bring back Haunted Dead, sack Haunted Dead to Undercity Informer. Uh, you, you start targeting your opponent, actually, and potentially mill them if they really shut down all of your attacks. But that gives you, you know, attacks over and over and over again. The Haunted Dead is going to keep rebuying the Amalgams. So your Silver Smoke Ghouls can eventually die, but everything else keeps coming back. And it gives you Flyers. And that was the key thing. I had my opponent, you know, completely locked up on the ground, but they just generated some Flyers and finished me off with those. So there's a neat little loop that you can do in this deck to, you know, keep playing the game, keep playing Magic. Uh, definitely something to be aware of, both, you know, playing against it and certainly playing with it. Um, the seven discard spells are pretty stock. That's what this deck uses, like, in its, you know, sort of flex spots to play a disruptive game plan, side sideboards a bunch of, you know, removal and answers fast as oracles to win outside of combat. Uh, I've seen Soul Guide Lantern, and that's new. Um, not exactly sure why that is there. Um, I... I guess, like, maybe Uro is a problem. There's a lot of decks that, like, use their graveyard a little bit, so it kind of makes sense, and it cantrips. Um, but I don't have a super clear picture of why that's there. Another deck that uh, Anger of the Gods is, you know, have some services, you know, being able to exile the creature is pretty yeah. important. So. Yeah, if you anger them, they're basically dead. So, yeah, definitely another reason to have Anger uh, in your deck. It's, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I guess, uh, you know... Another deck where Cage would shut them down too, right? If you want to shut down Sacrifice and this, maybe maybe we should start moving to Cage as our uh, as our graveyard hate du jour. Maybe, maybe. You know what I do want to move to though is the Pioneer Showcase. This was won by a friend of mine, and I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Um, first place, the deck we kind of glossed over, just the Lotus Field deck. Um, it was won by our friend Connor, and he has been absolutely dominating with this deck recently. He's kind of taken like the Caleb Schurer spot, you know, of like just, hey, this deck's good, they're going to win. Yeah. And it's nice to see people put in time and effort with something and get rewarded for it, right? Like he's been posting about it a lot on Twitter, which I'm going to look up his Twitter in just a second so I, we can I make sure. I believe he tweeted that he is 33 and 8 with the deck between yeah, you know, it's, various it's leagues and tournaments he's played, yeah. which is a little over 80%. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find him on Twitter because like he probably has a, a handle that's not his name or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find it, but oh, here it is. It's just uh, his last name and then his first name. So pretty easy to find him on there. Um, you could he, he streams uh, quite a bit, so give him a follow on there. Give him a follow on Twitter. But he's put in a lot of work with this deck, as Ross has mentioned. His win rate has been absurd, and he's been winning a lot. And it's nice to see him actually, you know, put it into a big win. I think is the way I'm trying to say here, and it's really cool, right? Like. We're seeing that this deck is still really good, even without Breach, you know, because that card is banned now. And we're seeing some of the new cards actually have a pretty big effect on this deck as well. Yeah, uh, I think the, the DFC's Balagate Recovery looks very strong in this deck. 
Um, you know, at this point, without access to Underworld Breach, you are a ramp deck, right? Uh, that's comboing off Lotus Field by casting big spells. Uh, I think the big thing here is the, you know, synergy between Peer into the Abyss and Omniscience. So when you're able to get to 14 or yeah, 14 mana, you, you granted for Omniscience, cast it, cast a Peer into the Abyss from your hand. Suddenly you draw a million cards. You can cast all of them. Uh, and eventually, you know, you don't, uh, I don't think there's a deterministic win. I guess there is a Jace in the sideboard. So if you do get low enough, um, but it, that's still not deterministic. But you can win that way, or you can just create a ridiculous battlefield with Niv-Mizzet and Ugin, while also Wrath. Like you can probably grant it a million times, right? Because you you draw a bunch of cards, you cast you can cast everything for f- free. I guess you cast everything from your hand for free. So with uh, Fey of Wishes, you granted for free, and then you cast the Fey for two mana that you have lying around, and then you activate it for two more mana. You cast granted for free. You can probably cast most of your sideboard. Uh, you know, just dr- draw a bunch of cards, thought distortion your opponent, make sure they don't have any answers to anything, and, and you can just win with Ugin and Niv-Mizzet. So, a little bit harder to actually kill people. There's not just that loop that you have, but the engine of the deck is still there, because the engine always was Lotus Field itself, uh, with Hidden Strings and, and Pour Over the Pages. It's just a matter of being resilient, and honestly, like, when you look at those mid-range decks, the interaction that they're playing is creature removal. So they don't really have a lot of disruption for this deck. Yeah, this this deck is very good game one. I have yeah. to imagine this deck is absurdly good game one in this format. And they don't have a, you know, the, the four-color Omnath deck can really kill you on, like, turn five when it ramps with Lotus Cobra. But, you know, Agent of Treachery decks and, you know, Esperiorian and Niv-Mizzet, like Niv-Mizzet decks, uh, all these other different mid-range strategies and big mana strategies, they're not killing you that quickly, and they don't have a lot of great disruption for you. So... Uh, I think that, you know, this was probably the best deck to play for the weekend. I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that. Yeah, I can get I can get behind that. Yeah, and we'll see if uh, if some hate cards arise. You know, we haven't seen a lot of Damping Spheres in sideboards in Pioneer in the last, you know, two months. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how this version of the deck is able to, uh, you know, stand up to the hate. Because we've seen this deck get suppressed by the tools that are available in Pioneer before. And again, this is kind of like the thing we alluded to, right? Like... This is a good weekend to play the deck because people didn't have hate for it, right? And we'll see how the format reacts, you know, how it's, you know, cyclical it is, how cute coming back to this. I looked up his stats. He is 33 and 8 with this deck. Yeah. Uh, one of those losses was to the Mirror. So he's actually 33 and 7. Yeah. With Three the of the wins are against the Mirror, too. So 30 and 7 and non Mirror. No, he said 30 and, he, oh, he said 30 and 7 without the Mirror. Okay. I, I, I misread that. You're correct. I so, remember reading uh, this tweet, Tannen. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, just great deck, great player. Uh, not surprised to see them win. And uh, this is, this is it's weird. I find myself torn. I usually don't like this kind of magic and these kind of decks. I like this deck. And I think that I could see myself playing this in a tournament if I know that the it's it's the right time. You know what I mean? I'm not worried about just getting hate. Like, I would not play this, like, if, if this showcase happened and there was an event, like, two days later, I would not play this in the event two days later. You know, like, I'd be a little more worried about too much hate or whatever. But... If you had told me this weekend this deck's great, it's well positioned, and you explained why, you know, for the reasons that you were saying, I'm sure he could Connor could go even more in depth than we can. I would be like, yeah, yeah, I'm in. Teach, teach me, teach me your ways. You know, like please, please give me a sideboard guard. Here's three dollars. You know, like <laughs> that 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 makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, that's going to be the I think the story for this week is, is how do people react to the decks that won because they are decks that you know were really under the radar. So now 
all of these kind of mid-range over-the-top decks have to now say, okay, I want a little bit of interaction against these decks, probably have to cut some of my, you know, creature removal. We've we've seen a lot of mono black over the last couple of weeks. So it makes sense that they were you know, pretty heavy on creature removal against mono black. So my guess is that this weekend is going to be good for aggro decks. I might be a little biased, um, but that seems to be the, the way people are going to have to push. Um, and hopefully they do. So I can just run them over with elephant Jesus. And, <laughs> and speaking of aggro decks that are good and especially yours, the only other thing I really want to talk about this top eight, cause it's just a bunch of like very similar decks is in eighth place is pretty much your deck, right? Yeah. This was literally the list I played in the challenge the day before I changed <laughs> two cards for the, the showcase challenge. I played a third fatal push in the sideboard and only one dire tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself really needing to deal with Lotus Cobra against the Omnath decks. Uro didn't really come up that often because either they won with other things before then, or I disrupted it with Kudro. Um, and you know, Fatal Bush can deal can beat Omnath as well. Uh, and just costing one mana was super important. And then I cut the Conclave Tribunal for a Selfless Spirit to help against Sweepers again. It, it's not that good. That's a slot that I'm, I'm still playing around with, but it was two sideboard slots that I changed. The, the main deck is, is entirely the same. Um, and yeah, Jizamjin taking eighth in the showcase challenge with Orzov Humans. So putting up some results there. Can we, can we talk about how they may have finished eighth place in the tournament, but they finished first place in screen names? Yeah, Jizamjin, spelled G-I-N, is just a, 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 a plus. A plus yes. pun there. I did want to point out an interesting thing in the third place deck list from Exodora's Dreams. This is, you know, relatively stock Orzov Aura's list, but if you look in the uh, creature slot, they're not playing um, the the heroic creature, Fabled mm-hmm. Hoplite, or Favored Hoplite. Yeah. Yeah. They're playing four copies of Stone Coil Serpent and one Soldier of the Pantheon. So you're really mm-hmm. seeing that pro multicolored uh, effect. They really want it, um, and it, you know it, it's working out for them. I've got to say, it hasn't come up like super often for me <laughs> with Soldier of the Pantheon. The thing is. Against like the Omnath decks, the of the ramp ones, the card that they're blocking with most of the time is Felidar Retreat, making white tokens. Um, so Brave the Elements ends up being important. But I did have a game yesterday against Esper Yorian, where my Soldier of the Pantheons were incredibly important. I held them back a little bit. My opponent had two fatal pushes. They used them pretty quickly on other creatures that I played earlier. And then uh, I managed to play two uh, soldiers. I think I put counters on each of them. Uh, maybe I didn't, I don't really remember, but like they just didn't draw a sweeper for a very long time. And I just kept coming through. They had like, uh, they had Basilica Bellhaunt, which you don't really see in a lot of lists, which, and you think is like a slam dunk against an aggro deck. Uh, they blinked it with Yorian. They, you know, had two really big blockers, but my soldiers just kept coming in, kept coming in. I th- I think I might've dealt every single point of damage, which was about 30 that game with how much life they, they gained, uh, with soldiers. So, yeah, pro multicolored, super important. Um, yeah, not a ton of other new stuff. You do see a four color reclamation deck. You know, the, some of the rec players are putting Omnath in their deck. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's actually nice to have another card that can get you to big explosions, right? You don't need to have rec out. Or if they have Teferi, you can use Omnath to, you know, get big. Omnath also kills Teferi when you like triple trigger it or can attack it. Uh, so it does a, a, a few good things in this deck. I, this might be actually a good choice moving forward because we've seen the way the Reclamation Acts are built in standard. They can get really flashy and have counter spells and a lot of disruption for the other, you know, go over the top decks and combo decks. 
uh, while still having their game plan intact. You see four copies of Mystical Dispute in the list. Um, so Reclamation might be a, a, a techie choice for this weekend, but th- there's a ton of things to choose from. Like if you look on Goldfish, like the, there's a lot of decks in that range, as I, I talked about, but there's a million choices. You know, do I, do I want to be Niv-Mizzet? Do I want to be Jeskai Luka? Four color fires uh, with uh, Omnath. Do I want to be the, the Omnath ramp deck, the Reclamation deck, Esper Yorian, and be a little bit more controlling and hating on creatures? And then you've got, you know, a few choices for aggro decks. Gruul, Orzov, Humans, Mono Black Aggro. Uh, you know, there's a Lotus Field combo deck. I saw a little bit of Demir Control around. But not a ton of hard control. We don't see a lot of Azorius. But the metagame is super open. Uh, looks really fun. I will say, one deck that we don't see a lot of that was sort of the top of the metagame maybe a month ago is Mono Green Devotion. What happened to Mono Green Devotion? I don't even know. I was going to say the same thing because we, we crowned it like the best deck at one point. Yeah. You know, or the best thing you could be doing. And I, I got to wonder, is it, is it not fast enough to keep up with, you know, this, uh, and doesn't have the right answers to keep up with this Orzov aggro deck? Is it get, is it just getting beat up in the mid game by these Omnath decks and these like, you know, agent of treachery type decks? Cause you're like, Oh, do all this stuff, you know, put this big planeswalker to play, lead my whole thing on it. And they're just like, all right, like agent of treachery, it keep doing all this other control yeah. stuff. And these decks also have a ton of sweepers. So the mana creatures go away. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes sense to me, you know, but the, you know, these decks existed before, right? I guess Omnath is really the, the big changer. You know, Omnath is supercharged all the decks that are in this vein uh, and push them above mono green. But yeah, that, that deck is, has fallen completely off the map. I'm not sure if there's a single copy in the top 32 of any of these tournaments. Yeah, I'm not really surprised by that, honestly. Like with the way... Well, okay, I'm surprised, but the more I think about it, the more we talk about it, I'm like, yeah, it just makes sense, right? Like... What matchups are you, like, hoping for? You know, what are you looking for? And you're like, this is what I'm targeting by playing this deck kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the Monogreen is probably pretty good against the Burn deck. It plays defense pretty well. It's good against control decks. It's not as good against decks that are, like, really going over the top that also have good disruption against you. Um, so, that, you know, it's it's natural. A prey fell out of the metagame. A lot of predators arose. Uh, and, and that's the metagame cycle. I've always, uh, I have this idea when I first started doing, uh, content, when I first started writing for Star City Games, and I wanted to, uh, you know, take a bunch of metagame data and run some analysis. And I don't know exactly how it worked because I never really, I only took one semester of biology, but I want to use like predator prey models that biologists okay. have developed in a Magic the Gathering context to analyze metagame development to see, you know, based on, you know, can I, can you sort of infer how good a matchup is based on where, you know, how a metagame evolves, you know, if, uh, or you know, that might, you know, go against common wisdom. Can you, you know, find holes in the hive mind in the magic community and saying like, yeah, people often react this way. They should be reacting this way. Um, I, I'm, it was a very like vague idea. But I do have uh, a friend of mine I went to college with, you know, majored in math bio. So I'm sure he would know people or that would help me or he could help me. Um, though he, he works now with like, uh, like food webs and stuff like that. Uh, so that was just an idea that I had because I, I wanted to do articles like that, but it's just like impossible to do when you're, when you, you just have to, that would be a thing that you could do if you were someone who wrote like an article every three months because you would have to devote so much time to doing that. And it would only be one article. <laughs> it's just, just impossible. 
This is not yeah, the way magic content so. works. Um, but it was a lofty idea that I had that I thought would be really cool that I never did anything with. All right, cool. And speaking of magic content, I actually kind of wanted to talk about something on the show tonight that uh, you and I have been talking about behind the scenes. We've been talking with Brent about it behind the scenes and some other people. And you may have heard us kind of allude to this, but I think it's something that we're going to have to actually do here. And this is something that we wanted to kind of be upfront and honest with with our uh, listeners or Patreons and everything. It's just, uh, we're not going anywhere. That's 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 not really, it sounds like this is the, uh, we need to have a talk. You know, like, you know, moment from your boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, <laughs> you're like, hey, we need to have a talk. And you're like, oh, shit, or whatever. But uh, this is not that moment. Um we've just been talking about this quite a bit and we're still playing by ear on it, but it should be happening pretty soon is uh, I think we're officially going to rebrand. Uh, we're not going to be called the pioneer podcast anymore at some point in time, very soon. Um, you've heard us kind of allude to it. It's one of the reasons why we haven't sent out some of the Patreon rewards. Like we have tokens made for everybody to give to them and look, we'll still send them out to you. You know, it'd be cool to have like, you know, the original podcast, but with, Everything that's happened with COVID and stuff over the last, what, six to eight months and the way Pioneer is going and how much information we're getting on it and how kind of slow everything is moving, I don't think it makes sense for us anymore to kind of pigeonhole ourselves into just talking about Pioneer every week. And that now we can kind of have a bigger scope, right? Like we could talk about whatever we want. Like last week or this week, we could have talked about The Walking Dead, you know, and those cards coming out, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, anything that... When the SCG online was going, I was playing a lot of Standard. We could have talked a bit about that. Yeah, uh, I, I actually, I have a standard deck saved in my phone right now, like a picture of it someone posted that I'm going to play tomorrow. Like, it's it's on my calendar. It's like when was the last the time you played Constructed Magic, Tana? Um, probably, like, like serious, like, even remotely seriously, when we could play paper. <laughs> like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I do mess around with Pioneer every now and then, but I would watch a bunch, you know what I mean? Like, I'd watch people streaming and stuff, but actually physically playing it, I like playing paper better. You know, but I do like Arena. I have a f- almost fully stocked Arena account. I've got just infinite, you know, wild cards. Literally, my vault progress is like 1,600% or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm not joking you. My vault progress is just ridiculous, right? Because I've got like 200 mythic wild cards, like 300 rare wild cards or something like that. I can, I could, I could create a whole set and be fine, right? And stuff. Uh, I draft a lot <laughs> and stuff. So, and I do okay. I do okay. I make mythic pretty easily every, every time. We can talk about limited too. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know, because like that's actually a section that I used to actually be on a Hearthstone podcast back in the day when I was doing the Hearthstone stuff, and we had a section on that podcast that kind of wanted to steal, and it was just like, you know, how's your week been, or like, what what did you do this week, you know? And you would talk about like, oh, like I was playing this deck this week, you know, I was playing the Zoo deck or whatever, which it was really funny. One of the decks in in, in Hearthstone got called Zoo because it was done by a Magic player, you know, yes. and that's what he called it. Or I was playing this deck this week, and you know, and you'd be like, hey, I've been playing this, and here's why. Right. And this is what I'm interested in. You, you know, you could do that more than I do because you're, you know, playing tournaments and stuff, but I might actually get into it and stuff, especially if they fix this format because I've heard pretty good things about standard right now. I'm, I'm kind of mad because the SCG tour online ended as soon as standard got good. And yeah. I only got to play miserable standard formats for three months, though. I didn't mind actually last season post bans, post reclamation. Yeah. Band. You liked your red black deck. Yeah. The Rakdos deck was just very good. Yeah. yeah really cool. So, but I, I don't like being pigeonholed into what I have to do. You know what I mean? Like, what Uro deck do I want to play? Like, what Omneth deck do I want to play? Um, it's not as bad in paper, even though it sucks, like, having to go, you know, I'd have to go spend, like, $150 on, you know, Omnaths or whatever, you know, because you know, I'd have to have that card or whatever. But, yeah. you know, I'm in a position where that's not a that's not a problem for me if I have to go do it. So I am privileged when it comes to that. So 
Um, and you know, when it comes to arena, so I can play whatever I want on there. I've been talking about this with you for a while. I do, if I do start playing some more, I do want to make some extra content on the side every now and then where we, you know, we could play some matches against each other for fun. You know, if people want to do that, but I'm not playing matches against the- you for fun, Tannen. I'm playing for keeps. Well, I mean, your record against me lifetime is, is horrendously bad. So like, is it 0 and well, 1? It's oh, okay. Officially it's 0 and 1, but we've played some games to the side. You have not won a lot of them, but Hey, you know, you're due. You're due. <laughs> also, I'm really mad about the win that I have against you because I almost got to do my favorite thing in the world that I know to do ahead of time. Because you have to know to do this ahead of time to do it. So if anyone, this match is on camera. If anybody wants to go watch it, um, no, it's not. Don't go finding it. Yeah, yeah. Ross and I played. Ross and I played a legacy event. I am obviously playing a Delver deck. He's playing a Storm deck, and I beat him obviously. But um, it's not obvious at all. I, I will say this: it's something that can only happen if we're in the situation where you know. I get to kind of quote unquote cheat in this matchup because I know what you're playing, right? And you don't really get to mulligan differently too much in that matchup. Like, not yeah, really. It's right? not going to affect my plays nearly yeah. as much as it will affect I get, yours. I get to mulligan very, very aggressively. Like, my opening hand, if I remember right, like my seven card hand was good, but it had like lightning bolt in it. It was like an aggro hand. And it may have had like a daze, but I'm like, that's not enough. And I, then I, I, I actually mulligan. think that one of the reasons we've had uh, metagames be more dominant. Uh, recently in standard is because they all get played on arena. So all the major tournaments are open deck list and it makes that open deck list disadvantages linear strategies. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. And so the situation comes up where, you know, my six card hand, cause this is back under the, what was that? The London Mulligan. Is that what it was called? The current one is the London Mulligan. The previous one was the Vancouver Mulligan. The Vancouver Mulligan. We're doing the Vancouver Mulligan where you would Mulligan, but you get to scry, Right. And so my six card hand was really good. It had like a Delver, a, a, a way to cast the Delver, a blue card and a Force of Will, which is like, that's all you could ever ask for in the Storm matchup because Ross always plays Storm. Yeah. And um, I got to really get him because my Scry was another copy of Force of Will. So I know the top card of my deck. He does not. And I'm on the play. So I get to go like Delver on one. Ross duresses me, sees that he gets to take Force of Will. and gets. So you I also just, need me to play a turn one discard spell. <laughs> you need a lot of things because if I just or, play a ponder, like no, because no. because like no, this is how I wish it worked out. It actually was the other way around because I, I I drew the force of will for my turn, played Delver and said go, and then you went for it, and I forced you to to like to you know you eat your whole hand. I get to force you, and then my Delver flips, and I get to start attacking you. I wanted it to be the other way around, and I would have loved it to be the other way around, and I really would have loved if the camera could have picked up me scrying what the card is because I would have one hundred percent not revealed it to Delver of Secrets. I would have attacked you for one instead of three and let you play into the let you play into the force of will that cannot the, be in the, my the, hand. The bluff the bluff no reveal. That's uh, a nice play. So I've played Delver hundreds of times. I've flipped a Delver probably over a thousand times in my lifetime. I have only ever done that that I can remember like on purpose one time. I remember exactly what it was. Who was it against? It was me. It was against Maverick. But you don't, it, it wasn't another, like, well-known It was person. either against Maverick or Death and Taxes. It was one of the, you know, mom-based, like, little creature decks. And I knew what was in their hand because of a probe. And I needed them to play into it into it a certain way. And the top card of my deck was a rough and tumble. And I just did not flip my Delver. And I was like, I will give up this Delver next turn if it doesn't flip blind. I don't care. I needed them to play, like, two more cards in their hand. Because I needed to, like, four for one them with this rough and tumble to win or whatever. Yeah. Or just to be super far ahead. And, like, I just, like, I drew my card, you know, just immediately put it in my hand. Like, you know, did something and, like, said Did go. your Delver flip the next turn? Yes. Obviously it did. It's, yeah. it's me. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. Because if your Delver doesn't flip and you cast rough and tumble, they still know that you drew it the previous turn. Because you, that you would reveal it if it was rough and tumble that um, turn. I, I didn't say it in the game or whatever but afterwards he was like he's like yeah that rough and tumble man and i was like 
I was like, yeah, I got to like really kind of get you there. And he's like, yeah, the card's just good. And I was like, no, I like drew it while I had the Delver play. I just didn't reveal it. And he was just like, wait, what? You know, I, like, I, I explained to him, I was like, yeah, I could have revealed this to Delver and I just chose not to, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, it, it felt like one of those level up moments, you know, when you're like, you're like, yeah, like I really did something good, you know, kind of thing. But anyway, I, 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 I <laughs> excuse me, I digress. I tangent like I normally do. And this kind of leads me to what I was going to say. So, um, we're not sure what we're going to call the podcast in the future. And this is why we were talking with you guys. One of the in girls, uh, with you people, one of the names that we're highly considering for the show is just MTG rants for obvious obvious reasons (laughs) because our rants are mtg related and not so it could be like mtg period rants period maybe i don't know anyway just mtg rants and it's it's an easy rolls off the tongue kind of thing but i wanted to kind of crowdsource this can we lowercase the m and capitalize the t and the g we we can do it however you want and the and the r because (laughs) because like because of ross and and tanner yeah yeah i actually like that a lot that's creative um so like the reason i wanted to bring this up and i wanted to be I, I want to be open with our fans and stuff about it and our listeners. But the other reason is I kind of want to crowdsource this because this is kind of fun, right? What if we had MTG and then rants behind the MTG going down so it was RMTG? Then it's both of our initials. That's our logo. I don't hate it. We can we can look at it. Um, I'll get somebody who's artistically inclined to yeah. to, to They, they would have to style it. it in a way where like yeah. that pops. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it needs to pop. It needs to be great. I, I am not talented in that arena so i can't i can't you can stop the sentence after talented <laughs> i am not talented and anyway like, <laughs> i would need a lot of work I, yeah. I can't visualize it you get what i'm saying i am also not artistically talented every time i've ever worked at inkling uh inkling customs for anything you know because she does a lot of my art and the art for the show um i've come up with an idea i'm like hey this is kind of where we're leaning this is the idea blah 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 she's like oh that's great and like she'll come up with something and then she's like hey what if we did this and i'm always like yeah, that's just better. Like, it's just way better. Like, why don't I just let you do this? You know, kind of thing. And like, it's never like it takes her. She comes back a week later with this idea. It's literally five minutes later. She's like, what about this? And I'm like, yeah, that's just great. And I'm just stupid. You're just, you're just awesome. I'm unworthy. Yeah. You're, you're attractive. I am very not good looking. You're smart. I'm dumb. You know, kind of thing. But as long um, as you're willing thing, to admit all that. Yeah. The, the thing that I'm trying to get to is um, if you have an idea for a good name for our show, Tweet at us. Not Shaheen Sarani. Tweet at actually me or Ross in this yeah. or, or at Cast Pioneer. Shaheen Sarani taking the week off. You can off. tag Shaheen in the tweet too, but. You could tag him too, actually. We talked about, we, t- we had a conversation with him about this last week. He should be ready for it. Um, also, uh, you know, if you're in the Patreon, if you're in the Discord, definitely hit us up in there. I'm going to make a post in there about it. I kind of didn't want to like. Maybe we should just make another Discord channel for it. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't want to give it away too much. But I think what's going to happen, and this is, this is going to be a fun thing. I think what I'm going to do or what we're, we're going to do, sorry, it's not my show. What we're going to do is if we come down to it and we cannot decide, which we, if we don't just have a name, and I'm like, yes, this is the name. You know, I'm like, this is it. This is perfect. If we have an idea of like some names we want, what I might do is let the patrons of our show vote for it. And they get to decide what the name of the show is going to be. If we let the patrons vote, then our show is going to be called Casty McCastface. Yeah, something stupid. <laughs> I mean, like the thing is, I, we're going we're gonna to put up Yeah, there will be options. Yeah, we'll It'll give them the option. Yeah, they don't just get to like. I, I'm thinking about back in the day when they had like uh, when like L, uh, when we were trying to name our basketball team, and they had like write-in names, and there were some there were some bad names that got put on like on the thing for for people to vote for. They actually got votes and stuff like that. I don't. Are you looking it up right now? No. Right, I was gonna say there was there was some stuff like that in the past. So, um, cool. that was the kind of the announcement for tonight is help us rename our show, uh, help us rebrand, and. 
if you're a patron, if you've been a patron in the past and a patron in the future, we're, we're going to have that stuff out for you as soon as possible. Like uh, Brent is working on some stuff for himself, uh, you know, by himself to do some cool stuff for the patrons. We'll get some more tokens made for people and we'll get some cool stuff in the future because we, we've kind of seen this coming for the last few months and we didn't want to just phone it in and sending uh, our patrons their rewards, if that makes sense. You know, like Ross and I have talked about this a long time. We've wanted to be upfront with everybody about everything and kind of not leave y'all in the dark when this stuff's going on. So I'm actually pretty excited about it. Aren't you also where we're like every week? It's not like, well, let's look at the challenge results. You know, yeah, it kind of no, sucked I, there I, for I a like while. having flexibility. Yeah. Having some flexibility is going to be nice. We can talk about whatever we want, which we do anyway, which is great. Um, and some fun stuff like that. So uh, I'm super excited about that. Um, I would be remiss before we started doing, we have, we have a couple other things to do on the show tonight. So this is not me around, uh, you know, winding it down. We do have, uh, we have a good, some good mailbag. We do again, again tonight. Um, I did want to mention our sponsor, Barrister and Man, uh, make sure that everybody at home uh, knows about them. Again, I say this every time, but it's just because I put stuff off into the last second. And especially during the holidays, I'm really bad about this. I'll be like, oh, I need somebody a gift. Oh, you know, it's like, it's only like 10 days till Christmas. It's fine. And then I go to order it. And it's like, yeah, it's not going to be there for, for 17 days or 21 days, you know, cause they're like, we have 8,000 orders of this, you know, we have to send out <laughs> all of them. Like everyone else in the world is sending stuff. So it's a good time to get ahead on some of your, your holiday shopping. Uh, like I said, this is a time of the year for me. It's everyone. Like it was my mom's birthday, like two days ago. Uh, it was my brother's birthday a few weeks before that, you know, it's got, I've got mine coming up. I've got Christmas coming up. I've got, you know, two families now, you know, since I'm married and stuff. So, uh, you know, I've got like brother-in-law, a sister-in-law who, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. Did you, uh, my sister-in-law gave birth. I have a new uncle, uh, uncle. Oh, wow. Uncle Tannen. It, we were a little worried for like half a second. Uh, it happened at like drastically at like 3 a.m. She started having some pains, went to the hospital. Uh, the baby is a one month uh, old premature baby, but I'm not, it's not one month old. I'm sorry. It's a one month premature, Yeah. but everything's completely fine. She's already home. The baby is gorgeous. Now I say this dude, newborns look like aliens. Let's, let's be real. They look pretty weird. Sometimes this, this baby is just absolutely gorgeous, but maybe that's just love blinding my eyes, you know, cause it's a, it's a family member kind of thing. Uh, mom's doing okay. You know, um, everybody's doing great. So super excited. We have to be very careful around the baby right now. You know, like mask on, make sure you're like, it's funny. I watched, I watched Natalie get ready to go over and see her the other day. Cause she was bringing over some food and some like, you know, supplies and stuff. And she was like literally getting scrubbed up. You know, you see the doctors on the TV shows and they're like, they have the soap all the way down to like their elbows. I mean, she was going, she was going ham. She's like, I'm not getting this baby sick, you know, kind of stuff. So, um, but she was using some of the, the new hand soap that I got from Barrister and Man. So there's some pretty cool stuff in there. Uh, great smelling hand soaps, really good ingredients. Uh, you know, a little bit better for the environment than, than some of the other stuff that's out there. You're going to put that line out there. And, you know, I talked about earlier about, you know, being outside and, you know, enjoying the weather. But, you know, I get a little sweaty. I need, I need to take a shower. And I am just obsessed with their soaps, uh, their body soaps, just because... I think I've told you this. I, I've never heard anything smell so good and feel so refreshing when I've used this because like I just didn't care in the past, and now I actually care. And I'm I'm mad that I that I care because I have to care forever now. <laughs> it was so much better before. <laughs> well, it, I say that, but this is better. It's yeah. like one of the things. Like, yeah, maybe you're better off not knowing sometimes. But I'm just a big fan of this stuff. Also, I love how we're treated by Bears Man. Like, you know, I do order some stuff every now and then, but it's like every month month and a half yeah, or whatever, I just get this email. Yeah. yeah, I just get this email and it's like, here's your new order. I'm like, wait a bit, I did, oh, they got some new some new product or something and they're, and they're sending it to us. So that's that's pretty cool. I'm super excited by everything they send. 
I cannot wait to give this to some of my friends. Um, I've got a friend who um, I'm going to his wedding in like two weeks and I'm, I'm, I need to, uh, I'm going to obviously get something off his registry. Look, that, that's a thing at home, by the way, a lot of y'all are getting to the age where your friends are getting married. If you give your, your, fr your friend a, a wedding gift, it's completely okay to give them something off list, right? To give them a personal item, blah, blah, blah. Also get something on the damn registry, please. If it's candles, silverware, something cheap, you know, like go spend 10 or 15 bucks, go in half Z with a friend so you can get them a toaster, get something off the registry, but it is cool to get, cause like I got some personalized gifts from people, you know, some like magic or uh, some cool, like, you know, I, I joked about Star Wars earlier today. I have a decanter that is a store, star, Stormtrooper helmet. It's like just a clear Stormtrooper helmet. You can't really tell what it is until you put the alcohol into it. Sure. And stuff. So it's really cool. You've seen my shot glasses, right? No. I have the magic shot glasses. Oh, you etched. told me about like, them, but I don't think yeah. I've seen them. Okay. Whenever you come, whenever you come hang out, we'll yeah. uh, we'll do we'll do some uh, in we'll, sixteen we'll years when them. COVID is over. Well, well, I mean, you can always just come anyway. Screw it, you know. No. <laughs> just we'll we'll quarantine. Yeah, I know. Right. Anyway, but. Anyway, Barrister and Man, check out their website. Uh, use the code uh, PioneerCast for fifteen percent off of your order. Um, more than covers shipping. You know, like a lot of a lot of cool stuff you can get on there. Um, highly, highly recommend the soaps and the shaving products. Um, ever, did I ever tell you about this? When I used to shave, I never used an aftershave. Sure. Did you when you used no. to shave? Because yeah, like, let's be real. Like I'm, dude. I get in there, shave. Yeah, I'm done. nobody got time for that. Yeah. I have this because also the liquid stuff, dude. It fucking burns. It stings, right? And you're like, why do I want to do this? I have this app. They sent me this aftershave balm. Yeah, they sent me some of it too. Dude, try it. I know you, have you gotten to shave with the stuff yet under your neck? Uh, I have not done that yet. Okay. So you, but you got the, you got the little brush and the ladder yeah. stuff yet? Yeah, okay. I keep the brush next to me. Yeah. I like the, fidgeting with it. It's yeah, so the soft. brush is awesome. These are the, this is the item that I'm most obsessed with is like, I actually look forward to shaving. I use the brush. It, ha it helps moisturize and exfoliate your face, which is great because I have a problem with that. You know, my skin sucks. Um, and then after I shave, I get to use the balm. And like maybe it has that little tingle to it, but it doesn't have that like, I don't feel like I just poured alcohol down my face after, you know, cutting myself. So you don't have that like really stingy, strong feeling. It's got that nice soothing feel to it. So I'm actually super excited to use this stuff. And I, I was never excited. I always found that like more like a chore to go shave yeah. and do all this other stuff. Cause I would just rather be doing anything else in my time. That's productive <laughs> because you know, it I'd was rather, a chore. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather go play magic or go play poker or like go run around or go play with my dog, you know, go watch a movie, something, you know, stab myself with a fork. Yeah, exactly. But like, I don't know. I, I'm starting to realize, you know, the older I get to really try to enjoy the simple things, like the, the simple stuff in your life. And it's, it makes life better. So, and you know what else makes life better? Barrister and man, check out their stuff. Right. What is our discount code? Uh, it's just pioneer cast. Nice. 15% off, right? 15% off. Check it out. A lot of cool stuff on there. Big fan of their products. You will be too. Don't don't make me keep telling you about it. Know about it. Go check out their stuff. At least take a look at their website. Lots of cool stuff on there. Um, now, we did have some mailbag submissions for this week. Um, as always, Lee McLeod coming in there with one of the first questions. Um, Tannen Ross uh, have just been put in charge of Pioneer Horizons, a set that has mostly reprints of non-Pioneer legal cards with the intent of putting them into the format. What kind of cards would you most like to see other than compl uh, completed mana bases? So we knew that answer was coming. Uh, what cards do you think uh, you, uh, What cards do you think would add new dimensions to the format rather than just powering up existing archetypes? Um, I'm going to make a pretty obvious one here and say I would like Delver of Secrets to be in the format. And then I, I, would, I, I would like Lightning Bolt. Honestly, I, I do think that red 
could do uh do well with lightning bolt maybe it's too powerful for the non-aggro decks to have that card as removal so i had to like really think about that one um i don't think i want them to have lightning bolt i think i would like some efficient burn spell so something like that maybe maybe lightning helix or something like that so uh, what about something like, like that? searing blaze uh, I mean, well, they, they have, have searing, searing blood, blood, but yeah, they already have searing blood. Searing blaze so, but, is a lot better than searing yeah. blood. I would, I would like Delver in the fact that I would like there to be a good tempo deck that isn't just spirits. Yeah, and spirits isn't even really a tempo deck. Like it has just a bare amount of interaction. It, it's really just an aggro deck. Um, two mana Thalia really stands out in my mind. That I think could be a good thing in this format. It would go a long way at kind of you know putting some of the decks in their place that need to be while giving white that extra identity thing, you know, like having an aggro deck that also can tax you. Yeah. You know, um, uh, the card that immediately comes to my mind is champion of the parish, um, which obviously would be great in the deck I'm playing right now. So potentially biased, but I think that it's actually would be more important to decks like the four color humans deck with company. Cause that deck just doesn't really apply enough pressure and champion of the parish would do go a long way towards letting it apply uh consistent pressure uh, i i'm if you remember when the the format started i was excited for the prospect of vehicles aggro decks being a pillar yeah. with toolcraft exemplar and that just hasn't materialized those decks just haven't been good enough mm-hmm. i think in part because heart of curin isn't very good when fatal push is the premier removal spell yeah um though fatal push was around in that standard environment and heart of curin was still good um but Regardless, Champion of the Parish, definitely something I could see. Um, that along with Thalia would actually be like a pretty interesting... I, I wonder if that might be too much. <laughs> but probably not. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of cards that are really good. Like, we, what is it, Witch's Vengeance is still in the format. So, like, there's a lot of cards that could still be really, really good against humans. You know, if that were to be an archetype. And, like, that's what he's talking about. Like, we were talking about things that, you know, powering up existing archetypes or starting whole new dimensions to the format. And that's where the Delver of Secrets answer comes, and I have to think more about, like, I think Days is going too far. Obviously, that card is probably too powerful and too many like too too good of a thing to be doing. But I would like there to be some deck like that. You know, like, we can't really play Is It Phoenix. Like, we don't really have a tempo deck in here. And I like that to be represented in the format because it also helps. Like, think about when Pioneer was literally just three combo decks. Like, if had there been a tempo deck at the time... Like, maybe the format's different. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, you do have the tools to play, like, Mono Blue Aggro or Mono Blue Tempo if you wanted to do that. Um, but it hasn't been good enough. Delver would definitely help. Does that deck need a better generic two-mana counterspell? You know, Delver and Standard had Mana Leak. We don't have anything comparable to that. That's the thing. is, I think you have to... When I Whenever I say the answer, Delver, I always try to put something like... That's why I say something like possibly Lightning Bolt behind it, because it needs another good one or two-mana card that solidifies that archetype for it to be good because honestly what are we flipping delver to that's good right now in the format there's not a lot right you know yeah i think the the big issue is they have curated pioneer for it to not have a high density of good one mana cantrips that's why arclight phoenix decks haven't been very good um and that's going to hurt delver a lot because you need you know you just need so many spells and if you're playing that many spells you can't play that many lands and so to be consistent you need to play cantrips are you going to get by on just opt? Probably not. But if you get another cantrip, that's going to... I don't think they, they're they going to put another cantrip into Pioneer. I honestly no, think okay. opt is just going to get reprinted a ton. Because yeah. it's like the perfect one. 
It goes into a lot of different archetypes. It's not too powerful. It's still quite good. When, when I think of this question and I think of some answers, there's some answers where I'm like, maybe we do something drastic and watch the world burn when it comes to Pioneer. Because like, here's the thing. What happens if we allow Blood Moon to be in the format? That's like, not going to happen. Yeah, that's not obviously not going to happen. But what happens if you do that? Like a lot of these decks, they just can't function. You know, because it's yeah, literally just black 30 and on basis. incredibly good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like even then, I mean, it still stops a lot of their good cards. It still stops Univault and uh, Castle yeah. Lockwain, which are very good reasons to have, you know, I mean, very re good reasons for that deck to be good. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm just not even going to entertain that because I know that's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, we hope not. You but know? Like, like, it, Mana Leak is probably too good. But what about a card like uh, Rune Snag? Hmm. I think, if, I think if you do it, you fix it. You don't play Rune Snag as it is because they don't like that anymore. You know, kind of you have the fixed accumulated knowledge now. I think you fix Rune Snag to where it only counts its own graveyard. Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, just because like it's just it's bad templating yeah, to do that. Uh, yeah, okay. Assume they do that. Yeah, a, a good two mana counterspell. I mean, like th there might good? be there might be two mana counterspells in the format that are just good enough that we're just not playing because we don't have a deck they fit yeah. well I into. Mean, loft, uh, I could definitely see Lofty Denial in a Delver deck. You know, transform. You've got a flyer. Um, and you'd also probably play Brazen Borrower, uh, yeah. but you need more than that for Lofty Denial. So maybe that's the one that, that gets you there. Force, um, that deck would need Force Spike. Like, as, as weird as it is to say it, I think that deck would need Force Spike is, quite a bit. Is Force Spike even modern legal? No, I don't seventh, think right? so. Yeah, I don't think I'm so. not sure, because I to remember when it got reprinted, I don't think it's modern legal. I don't think it's ever had a modern facing. Yeah, it was in seventh, I, I think. I wouldn't know, because the only Force Spikes I have are like OG Legends, Force Spikes. Yeah. Yeah, I have like yeah the sicko ones that I've literally never sleeved up in twenty years or whatever. But what other what other modern cards could make sense? I kind of want to just like look at modern yeah. decks. I think this see. is a question that maybe we need to come back to a little bit next week after we had a little more time with it and do some research. And maybe even at the end of the show we can come back to this. I'm going to ask the next question. We can do that and maybe think about this in the background. This is from our resident chef, Chef Petro. I have felt this for a while now. Obviously, last year or so, bannings have caused a lot of up and down. But I feel players are not letting metas mature and allow decks to be modified to counteract what is the best deck. I know that standard and definition is sometimes too narrow to find meta decks. And maybe this is an old man syndrome. But why can't we give metas a little more time before bannings? And is this a crowdsource ban the new new for future magic? I want to say yes and no to this answer. Um, you're going to hear cries for bands quite a bit because like we are in a band culture now when it comes to magic. And I'm trying not to use any buzzwords here, in, you know, piss off anyone, anyone, but like that is kind of what magic has become. When something's too good and impressive, we ban it. The reason you're seeing stuff like this happen and you're, you're, you're seeing we're not giving enough time for it. The thing is we are giving enough time for it. Enough games have been played. Formats are being solved at such an exponential rate now because of the information, because of arena and so many games happening that you don't really have time to really try out other stuff because people have found what the most powerful thing to do is. And then they start making it that as good as it can possibly be, you know, streamlining that. And it kind of oppresses the outside stuff. Now, look, here's the thing. You can play whatever the hell you want, but if you want to win high level events, like if you want to be a competitive player, you have to play the top of the metagame. Like that's, that's just the way it is. Right, if you if you play these suboptimal decks, like you were going to lose. Yeah, um, you know the the thing is is all of these bans have sort of compounded on each other, right? Like it, it took them longer to ban you know Field of the Dead than it did to ban uh, uh, Omnath or Uro. Um, well, I guess Uro was a couple sets ago, but um, you know the 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 
the cry for bans has sort of accelerated as more have been necessary because people are just sick of the oppressive decks and they want to get to a, a point where the metagame is healthy. And I, I understand that. So I'm kind of on your side here. Um, I do agree, like, people cry quickly, but in the last year, like, it, it's been justified. Like that oh, it's op- definitely been justified. That yeah. opening weekend for the four-color Omnath deck in Standard is the most absurd opening weekend I've ever seen. And I've, you know, I remember back when the, you know, it would be a couple weeks after the set was released and in the fall, and then states would happen. And you would have, you know, 60-ish places because it, there were, you know, some territories and Canadian provinces that would run them as well. Uh, and you would get all these results from these tournaments and be like, okay, like what were the decks that are consistently doing well? And then that would kind of set the metagame in the fall. Um, now we've got, you know, SCG opens, we've got the arena ladder, uh, things like that. And it happens a little bit faster. And, and that's, the, that's your entire point. Like, you know, we're just playing more games. So the things accelerate and we find problems faster. We identify them as problems faster. And so the reaction time needs to be faster. It's just the nature of, it's just how magic, like magic, you say like you know things haven't uh, you know things have changed, but like the the magic community has changed. It's bigger now. It's more wide ranging now. You know, so a lot of the changes that you see, you know, yeah, they're a little weird for those of us that have been around for a long time because magic is pretty stable and you know sort of basically the same thing for like two decades, right? <laughs> From like 1996 to 2016, 2017, you know, uh, it was basically the same thing, like. And now things are, have, you know, seemed to change so much in the last three or four years. But I think the reality is that a lot of that is playing catch up and changes should have happened earlier. And, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't. And we sort of stuck with an old system that had a lot of pitfalls. You know, people complained about a ton of things back then, uh, just like they complain now. Uh, you know, it's just the what they're complaining about has changed. So. You know, you really got to take a step back and be like, okay, you know, what is, it's not just that people are reacting faster to bands. It's they're doing it for a reason. You really got to look at those reasons and then analyze whether those reasons are justified. And in this case, I would say they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, just, I just have to agree with you too. Like, I mean, it just, it just sounds right. We're both All really right. smart. We're great. Yep. High five, Tannen. High five. All right, cool. Uh, socially distanced high five. Love it. Yeah. Cody Absent Battle Priest. Thanks for the cards, by the way. Uh, sends in a question. If you could go back to any plane that we haven't revisited yet, what plane would that be and why? I have an easy answer for this one. Kamigawa. Um, my, it was my first real, real, real dip into competitive play. It was my first pro tour. I have a lot of fond memories. Um, though I don't want to play that format again where a bunch of the commons were unbeatable. And you could stack damage. Like, Kabuto Both was goddamn unbeatable in that format. So. Wasn't there a mill deck in that limited format? There's a mill deck in every limited format, but yeah. But, like, was. it was really good. Um, I think you're thinking of, like, the Ravnica one, which was really good. I'm trying to remember if that one had one. It had peer through depths. Yeah, it was, and, like a spli- it was like a splice deck that yeah, eventually milled you. You had to really try, and, like, you could still lose. I, like, I never, I, I basically never drafted that format. I think I drafted um, it under five times, so. I drafted it a lot, like, a lot. A I don't lot. really know why. Like, I was playing Magic and playing Standard, I just we, and we drafted a lot of Onslaught Block, or I guess this was after Mirrodin. I didn't draft a lot of Mirrodin. I drafted a lot of Onslaught Block and just not so much Mirrodin and Kamigawa, and then drafted a ton of Ravnica. So, um, I won a PTQ in that format. It's the first PTQ I ever won. I can actually tell you my first four picks in that top eight. Okay. Pick one was Glacial Ray. Great card. Uh, for people at home, it was one in one red. One red, instant, two damage to any target, splice on Arcane for one in red. Yeah. 
So what, what that meant is if you cast a spell that was arcane, you could pay one in red, reveal Glacial Ray from your hand. It would add that text to that card, but Glacial Ray stays in your hand. Yeah. You just like kind of put this card into the other card, but you get to keep this anything that was spliced. The original spell goes away, yeah. right? The original spell gets countered, then you don't get the two damage. It's all one spell, but you get to keep the Glacial Ray. My second pick was Consuming Vortex. That was, I don't remember. One of the blue. Uh, it's a bounce spell. It'll return a creature. It's an instant. Unsummon, okay. Yeah, and it had it had splice for three and a blue. Okay. My third pick was Glacial Ray. So very solid start. Yeah. Right? And then my fourth pick is when I was like, I'm winning this goddamn draft. I got a Blind with Anger. So Blind with Anger is Threaten, but it's a four mana Threaten. It was an instant, and it was Arcane. So it was just Ray of Command? Yeah, it's just Ray of Command. Let me make sure it's an instant. I, I remember it being an incident, but I might just be wrong. Give me one second. Um, I'm looking it up right now. I've got it. Uh, yeah, it's an incident. It's arcane. So there was definitely a combat where I cast a blind with anger and spliced onto it like multiple times. Or whatever. That's dirty. Yeah, this card, this card was fucked up good. Because people didn't realize back then like how important it was to like take something mid-combat. Because it untaps the creature, so you get to oh, kind yeah. of like, you know, you get to kind of like block and stuff with it too. So... It was always a. It was like almost always a two for one, because you would cast it on one of their creatures, then block their creature with it or whatever. So this card was pretty disgusting. And then sometimes I would just like put a glacial ray onto it. But I don't remember what my fifth pick was. But I just remember after the draft, one of my like a bunch of my friends were watching my playtest group, and they were like taking notes and stuff. And one of them was like, "Yeah, I might have been in white sitting in her seat." And I just started laughing at him. I was like, "Whatever, man, I'm gonna go win this draft. I'll talk to you later while you sit there and watch." I was so. What are my other options here for like planes that we haven't revisited? Because it, you basically like, I, I guess I guess cons of Tarkir is it, that's a separate yeah, plane. I mean, that's also yeah. I would like to go back to cons. That's that's gonna be my answer. That limited format was great. Uh, its standard environments were good, even though people endlessly complained about Abzan and Siege Rhino. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah, that, that I don't know. I just have fond memories of cons of Tarkir. That's like when I started traveling a lot for tournaments, as opposed to just going to ones in the Northeast. Yeah, I get. I don't think that's a bad answer. I mean, like I actually yeah. watched the video that you posted on the Todd's timeline the other day about your match with him from that format. <laughs> your curve was pretty ridiculous. Oh yeah, my draws in that match were really, really good. <laughs> your draws were like, if you could draw it up perfectly, your draws was that like plus one. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was one of those matches where you know Todd and I, uh, you know, we hadn't become like you know, close friends at that point. This is before I moved to Roanoke. But, you know, we knew each other and we were chummy. And at the end of that match, like, it was it was kind of quiet because I knew Todd was just, like, frustrated because my draws are great and I knew my draws were great, you know. So, and he played out of his goddamn mind, oh, he just, too. He, that, was, I'm, that was just peak Todd. Todd yeah. playing that deck is some of the best magic that you will see. It's just world class. Okay. Um, so that answers that question. And the last one in our mailbag from Mason Grode. My team, the Fanny Pack, is just starting to run tournaments on MTG Melee, and we're trying to create our own formats as well as host formats that are desired that don't get as much love as they deserve. If you could create a format and or choose an existing format that you would want to play slash compete in, what would it be? Okay, I've got a couple of answers for this one. And uh, I actually want to talk I want to take the time to talk about a format that I made up. I don't know, like 17 years ago or some shit. <laughs> like this might have been during like Kamigawa and stuff um, when we were playing. We're trying to do some of their excess cards. And it's before EDH. 
because uh, it was called EDH stuff back then. It was before Commander. Had a format that we made where you had to play a deck where your deck was at least 100 cards. It had all five colors in it. It was kind of like ra- Rainbow Stairwell. Um, and then you talking you're, about Prismatic? You, well, this was before all that. Like, we didn't have those formats yet, so we were just, like, kind of coming up. Everyone kind of came up with the same stuff. Um, and then we had rules where, like, you had to have, like, five or ten of a card of every color in your deck. You know what I mean? You can't just be, like, the five-color deck and not have white. But Wasn't if this format called Skittles? I don't remember what we... I'll tell you what we called it in a minute, okay? It wasn't called, like, anything like that. Um, but cards, like, let's say you had Lightning Helix in your deck. It was either a red card or a white card. It was not both. Like, you had to have 10 white cards in your deck, because that was actually the hard one to get in sure. in a lot of the decks, was white. Um, and we had a couple variations of it. We outlawed LD and X spells, so you couldn't just, like, play Fireball and stuff, because, like, that's just not fun. You know, you play this big, long game, and it'd be, like, real fun, and somebody's like, all right, Fireball you for, like, 12. And you're like, well, that's not fun. You know, so we just... We, we didn't want the games... To, we wanted the games to play. You know what I mean? Like, it wanted to feel like Cube, right? We called the format TGIF, Tan and Grace's invented format. And uh, yeah, that's just how it stuck. Um, as to a more serious answer to the question, I am a big fan of Singleton, whether it be Highlander or anything like that, just non-commander Singleton, you know, where you don't have an actual commander because the games yeah. become too repetitive when you do that. So I like standard Singleton, um, variations of that. Like you can do, what is it when it's just no rares? It's not uh, pauper, but it's... Peasant? Peasant. Yeah, like peasant versions of that or popper versions of that. I I love it. Like whenever that's on arena, I play that nonstop. I like that kind of stuff. It lets you kind of highlight and play with cards that just aren't very good or yeah. aren't good or just aren't good enough. They're good, but they're not good enough. And, so and you when you play formats play like that, there's just lots of weird interactions that, that come up. Or you could play a format where you can have four of, but just do it as as a peasant. You know, do it commons and yeah. uncommons, and just four of those because like that that's actually fun. You get to like you you feel like you're playing magic in the '90s, like early '90s, yeah, and stuff. And it's it's real fun because the uncommons now are basically rares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I uh, so the a format I've been playing a good bit of because Anderson Leclerc built one. It's a battle box. Mm-hmm. And I like me some that one's box. great. So for those we who actually are had a version of that early too. Yeah, it's uh you know you, you build a stack and you know you can build it however you want. Uh, but each player starts out with one of each basic land and uh, essentially a guild gate of the friendly color combinations. I've seen people that do it where they have one friendly set and one enemy colored set. And you look at your opening hands and get to choose which set you want. Like if you're on the draw, you say, okay, I'll take the enemies. You take the, the friendlies or, you know, vice versa. Uh, I think that's kind of interesting though. That decision is, you know, very marginal. Um, but you know, a, a set of dual lands that covers each color twice, right? Uh, five dual lands and one of each basic. So you have 10 lands and they're set off to the side when the game starts and you play, you know, lands from there. So you make your first 10 land drops and then stop for the rest of the game. And you have three of every color once all your lands are, are in play. Uh, and you're, you're each playing off the same stack. You start with, you know, four cards in hand, not a full seven because they're all spells, right? And, and you play. Uh, so format I enjoy, I would keep, I would keep it to no rares, just commons and uncommons. Um, but it ends up being, you know, um, it, it just ends up being fun. Just another one of those things that, uh, you know, weird interactions come up all the time. Um, you know, it, it can be grindy. Sometimes, you know, you get these, these aggro draws, um, but, you know, you can curate it like a cube or, or anything, however you want. So I, I would like to see it like a popper version of that. I don't know how it would play online. Like your lands would have to be somewhere that would have to be programmed in, but that would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's a really good answer. And if anyone who hasn't tried out that, you definitely should. 
be, be responsible. Don't don't play with your friends in person right now. But it's definitely one of the more fun ways to play Magic because the games aren't as repetitive. They're fun. It's 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 got a very good cube feel to it. So I'm a, I'm a I'm a big fan. So um, I think that about does it for this week's episode. Uh, I was gonna say we didn't have anything else that we needed to add, did we? No, I think we're good. We've ranted enough, Tannen. Yeah. So when you hear, yeah, there you go. See, MTG rants. So when you hear this episode at home. Give yourself a chance to get into our Discord. Get on our Twitter. Let us know what you think about us rebranding. You know, what name you want to change it to. That Twitter is at Cast Pioneer. Make sure you follow on there and kind of interact with it a little bit. Um, if you want to get in the Discord, the link's in the Twitter. If not, um, message me, Brent, or Ross Merriam uh, somewhere, and we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up with that. We can figure it out in some way, shape, or form. Um, also, some of the cool stuff that goes on in our Discord is we have some channels that are only allowed to be get to be got in if you're a patron of the show. We do have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash pioneercast. If you can help us out monetarily, we really appreciate it. We got to pay Brent. We got to pay for this cool stuff that we do for some people. And every now and then, I give Ross like 20 bucks because he needs to go buy himself something nice. You know, he's, he needs true. to treat himself. So I, I, so the the Dawn Issue 2 sneakers came out recently. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to need a little bit extra to get myself some shoes. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but sure. It's a, it's Donovan Mitchell's signature shoe with Adidas. Oh, okay. So cool. I own a pair of the Don Issue Ones. This is the Venom colorway. Okay. Let's see a little, pur- a little purple in there. Do you wear these when you ball? Oh yeah. That, uh, and then the Don Issue Twos. They're actually doing a partnership with Crayola. So there's three colorways that are sort of crayon colored, and it's yellow, red, and blue the primary colors. I th- I'm thinking I might get the yellow one, but there's also this like neat looking lime green version. So I'm deciding between those two because okay. I kind of want just two pairs of sneakers. The lime green does sound kind of cool. I'll, I'll show them to you. I'll show them both to you after the show. Sure, sure. You can, I'll take your opinion. Yeah, make sure you check that stuff out because the patrons do get a little extra access. They do get to ask questions on the show. They get some cool stuff, some cool swag like we talked about on the show. And they may get to rename the show itself. So um, this could possibly be the last episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Didn't even make it a year, Tannen. Didn't even make a year. Well, I mean, it's 2020, man. I'd be surprised if a lot of things make it up this year. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's actually been six years, so you know we should have celebrated it. Yeah, I was going to say, it goes through 2020. If you get through half of the year uh, yeah. concurrently, it's like you it's like dog years. It's actually been seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so we've been we've been around for about, what, four, four to five years now? Mm. Almost, gotta, almost seven. We're, we're coming up on an actual year. Yeah, we got to we got to prorate it, and then hey, when we get the year episode, I think we should do some cool shit. Like we're, we should maybe do like a two or three weeks away episode or something. How many? Two or three. It was late. O- it? it was late October last year when. Uh, I thought it was like November. No, November was when the envy was. Remember? Oh God! Oh God! It's really been a year. And the envy was after multiple bands had already happened. Have I put up with you for this long? Mm, I don't know. Social I distancing just, probably helps. I just I can't understand how I've put up with you this. Oh yeah, I can't understand how I've put up with you this long. Like I didn't think we'd make a year. I thought I would have to replace you by now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just Who are you going to replace me with, Tannen? Ross, we don't have time to read off that long of list. <laughs> yeah, I'm just messing. I love you, buddy. All right, and I uh, love each and every one of you all at home too. Uh, make sure that you interact with us on Twitter, like we said, and all that stuff. Uh, Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, see more of you, where would they go? Number one place is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunnids. Uh, so that's place where I, you know, you can ask me questions. I try to get back to people and I will, I also, you know, tweet out all my content when I'm going live on the stream and everything else. So great, uh, you know, new episodes of the podcast, all that stuff happens on my Twitter. So follow me there. Uh, next up is my written content for starcitygames.com. My articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. 
Um, they are behind a paywall for a week, and then they go live to the public, I think. Um, this week's article is going to be about uh, all about Orzov Humans and Pioneer, full cyborg guide, matchup breakdowns, uh, you know, p- potential changes for the future, things like that. Um, so if you like the Orzov Humans deck, be sure to check that out. Then there is my non-written content for Star City Games, by which I mean Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. So we're on the Star City Games Twitch channel, same place you went to watch Star City Games or SCG Tour online coverage. Uh, that's Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. We play whatever is relevant for Magic. Last week we did All Modern both days. This week we're trying to do a lot of Pioneer. It's definitely going to be Tuesday. If it goes well, we'll, we'll run it back on Thursday and, and do six more decks. We play three matches. You know, we, we take uh, questions and comments from the audience live on the air. So that's a great time if you can catch us live. If you can't, those uh, you know, the VODs do go on the Star City Games YouTube channel a day later at 5 p.m. So Tuesday goes up Wednesday, Thursday goes up Friday. You get the deal. Uh, so appreciate any support there. And then last but not least is my personal stream. I am twitch.tv slash Ross underscore Miriam. Uh, I've been trying to get into a groove where I stream Friday as sort of a prep day. You know, I, I play myself off stream during the week and then I figure some things out. And then Friday I show you what I'm thinking about playing for the weekend. Uh, and then Saturday and Sunday, I stream, you know, online tournaments. Last week, I did the Pioneer Challenge on Saturday and then the Pioneer Showcase Challenge on Sunday. Um, so, you know, it'll just depend what I'm, what format I'm confident in, well, you know, if I have a good deck and what tournaments are going on. Uh, but I, I'm trying to stream Friday to Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes I get the itch to stream during the week, maybe a little cube, uh, things like that. But definitely, I'm, I'm trying to stream consistently on those three days each week. So you can follow me there, and I appreciate that. Tannen, if they want to uh, hear or see more about you, where should they go? You can follow me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace, and uh, my Twitch has been active lately, but not super active. Just to, you know, full disc, you know, full disclosure, not super active, but I have been streaming a little bit. And I want to more in the future at uh, just Tannen Grace on there. Your your a friend of yours still owns that on Twitch, and I will get it one day. I'm not super worried about it, but we'll see. But anyway. Uh, That about does it for this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week, possibly with a new name. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you all later. Bye.